Hey guys, this is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, but what you are listening to right now is the Talking Rock Podcast. And this is a show I do with Joey Haney, who is, of course, heard on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Definitely subscribe to that. It's a great listen. And uh, yeah, so what we're doing here is before we gear up with all our new programming here on this brand new Talking Rock subscription RSS feed, we are going back and reposting all the stuff we did back in 2018 a lot of discussion that Joey and I had, a lot of interviews that I did. So it's all coming to you here on these last few episodes. And then we will start the uh, the current uh, discussion, the 2019 discussion soon. So stay tuned for that. And uh, seek Joey and I out on social media. We're on, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And like and share the Talking Rock podcast. Okay, so here we go. Some 2018 content uh, includes discussions and interviews by Joey Haney and myself here on Talking Rock. Enjoy, guys. Welcome to the third edition of the relaunched Talking Rock podcast. My name is Mark Striegel, and I am joined by co-host Joey Haney from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Joey, how are you? I'm good, Mark, and hello, everybody out there. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you know what I got to do, man? I keep forgetting to remind the Talking Metal listeners to check this show out. So I, I have to make a point of that. Um, and hopefully then we'll we'll start to develop a listener base. You know, the Sticks episode did did do all right. Two, three hundred downloads, I think, on that, which con- all considering, that's, that's not a bad place to start. Yeah, good interview, too. I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Um, so here we go. We're going to talk some rock for you talking rock podcast so joey let's start off with concerts i recently saw iron maiden at the barclay center in brooklyn new york great great show energy level through the roof just a a really like special vibe at this show um it was the last show of the tour and i don't know if it was that combined with the the Brooklyn, New York crowd, which for anyone who isn't from New York, Brooklyn is kind of, it's one of the five boroughs, but it's not the five boroughs. Uh, it's not the borough you're thinking of. It's not the one with the tall buildings. It's kind of more, it's still city-like, but it's it's more residential. There, You know, it's the kind of, there's a lot of hipsters out there, but there's also a lot of working class people. A lot, it's, it's a melting pot. It's And it's where people live you know it's a it's it's and so it was like a real special vibe at this show the crowd was on fire the band was on fire bruce even made mention that he he could care less if they ever play manhattan again he was so happy with the way the the two shows were going and and went in brooklyn so it was it was a great night ghost of course opened up excellent excellent job and bruce dickinson even said that you know he he loved having Ghost out on the road with them, and said that they definitely want to do more touring with Ghost sometime in the future, which I thought was cool. So, great response from the crowd for Ghost too. What were you going to say, Joey? That would be that, no, that would be excellent if they toured with them again. And I was watching your videos when you were posting them during the show, so it was it was nice to relive small portions of the show anyway because I, right. I saw it in Dallas. 
And I'm jealous you got to see it twice on that tour. I would have, I probably should have made plans to travel to see that show because I loved it so much. But yeah. you, you know, I, I did buy the Texas centric shirt, and uh, oh, cool, cool. You know, I that's the first uh, city centric shirt I've bought for Maiden. I always miss out on it, but I, I didn't this time. It was great. Well, you know, when they played Jersey, now my poor home state in New Jersey just always is is left out and despite being the most densely populated state of the of the 50 states we, we always kind of get uh let out let you know i don't know left out i think is what i'm trying to say and and uh pissed sure. on and made fun of but uh the jersey show which was a great show no no special t-shirt for that show which I thought just oh, man. Really, yeah, really lame. But and I and I specifically I didn't I, you know I said to my wife when we went in there and correct me if I'm wrong if you were at the show and you saw a you know a, a shirt that was specifically for that Jersey show I did not at the the stand I was at but at the Brooklyn show they have of course Eddie smashing the Brooklyn Bridge so on the yeah. T-shirt so I had to get that and um, uh, yeah he was dressed as the uh, Statue of Liberty wasn't he yeah I you believe know what? The, I one of the shirts I saw did that. I'm not. I'm yeah. not sure if he was the Statue of Liberty. I think I don't know. He was yeah. smashing the the Brooklyn Bridge, and a a uh, taxi cab was flying into the the East River. <laughs> um, it's possible. Yeah, mine he was has uh, the, the statue crown on. I'm not sure. Yeah, my mine was. He was a Texas Ranger, and he was uh, uh, busting the boys at the border. You know, oh, nice. So, <laughs> a nice, nice topical news yeah. there for you. But yeah, uh, I'll have to send you a picture of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty funny. And of course, like uh, one of the like road signs said 666 miles on it or something like that. So very cool. Yeah. So who who have you seen recently? Well, uh, the, the main thing I definitely want to talk about as far as recent shows is I finally for the first time and possibly the last who knows how much. Uh, Right. how many more tours this guy has left in him. But I finally saw Paul McCartney. And uh, if I'd have known how good that show was going to be, I would have made a point to travel and go see him a long time ago. And weird circumstances, you know, I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. Yeah. He's played certain parts nearby over the years. Like he's even played some places in Oklahoma before. He's played Houston recently. I just should have traveled to see him. We saw him really like on the border of Louisiana at a place called Bozier City Shreveport. And was and this like an arena pulled, show? Yeah, it was it was a small arena. It was like Coliseum style. And apparently the the capacity is like some is, is definitely under fifteen thousand. So getting to see him in, in right. that small a place when he could easily play a stadium uh, was just amazing. That was probably a, a once in a lifetime for me. And we didn't have to sell blood to go see him. So you know, not that Very it was cool. cheap, but it wasn't. It wasn't like two two hundred dollars expensive. It was you know like a little bit over a hundred dollars a piece, and I mean the dude. It was like a thirty seven song set list. He played for wow. three hours legit, and and you know he could play anything. You 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 could go up there and play Beatles anything. It doesn't matter how deep the cut is. If it's a Beatles song, people are like, yes, yeah, beautiful. But you yeah. know he still played the stuff like Jet and you know. Right. What were you going to say? Wings. Uh, like, how does how does he? You know, I saw McCartney only once. It was in '92 at Giant Stadium, and the way I remember it is he he did like a his first tour in a very long time in '89. Like, I want to say in like ten or fifteen years, he hadn't toured. He did the '89 tour, sold out stadiums uh, all across yeah. the country, every place he played. And then he came back around 
in like 92 when he struggled with filling the stadiums on that tour. However, the, the stadium, the, the, in Jersey, of course, he, he filled the, the giant stadium, uh, and it, that was sold out. And I was in the very last row of the, of the back at the, at the very <laughs> nice. top, you know, and, and things were out of sync because, you know, the, 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 the sound and, and, and speed of sound and speed of light are, are, are different. So, so by the time the sound reached me, his lips would already be on to a couple words ahead, you know, which was funny, but, <laughs> yeah. um, Oh, been there. Yeah. yeah, yeah great, great <laughs> memories of that show. Um, big, big band from what I remember. It was like yeah, a lot of people on stage and, and it seems like from, I haven't seen him since then live, but I have seen him on TV and stuff. And it seems like it's a more stripped down band that he plays with. Is that correct? Yeah. And I don't have their names in front of me, but I swear he's had the same band since probably the last 17 years at the very least. And it's, you know, uh, McCartney goes back and forth between guitar and bass, play some piano, of course. He's got uh, two guitar players and a guy that plays switches out on bass with him. He's got a keyboard player and his drummer, and that's it, you know? So how does he handle when he plays, like, a Sgt. Pepper's or Magical Mystery Tour song, like a a song off of those records? Is he playing those songs? And there's so much instrumentation with the orchestra and the, you know, just sound effects and tape loops and everything else and the horns on on those songs. How does he handle those songs? Yeah, and there was no live horn section on stage, so I'm assuming his keyboard player has uh, has some of that stuff on disc, doing loops and things like that. But it, it doesn't sound canned, you know. It's, it doesn't sound organic, you know. Like when I would go see, like, and I love this band, but when I go see like Aerosmith, you could tell that the horns are keyboards, you know. But in this instance, like whatever that guy's using, it sounds very good and very right. accurate to the cool. studio record. It, it all sounds great, and man. I'll do a few spoilers in case uh, somebody needs a warning and they're going to go see him. But there's even a point in the show where they go like more stripped down, a little bit more acoustic. And he played the first ever original that the Beatles recorded, a song called In Spite of All the Danger. Wow. And they did that literally singing into a can, you know, back in the day, which is uh, Paul, John and George. And they they worked it up as like a full band arrangement and that thing was breathtaking it was so good i mean wow. i could go wow. on and on but there are surprises in the set i mean there's mega mega hits and then when he plays live and let die he blows up more stuff than kiss does but wow. um yeah it was all it was always surprising always fun i love the wing stuff especially man you know i love let me roll it and jet and stuff like that those are great rock and roll songs very you know Wings, of course, was successful, but I feel like the Wings stuff still doesn't get the credibility that it should. But there you go. Cool. A, a short like review how, of how McCartney. Much, go like, see again, it. And how much Wings did he play? Was it just two songs? No, I mean, he played Band on the Run also. I, you know, I don't have the set list in front of me, and I should do that. But I'm just going off memory. Those right. are the three I remember the, the most. Oh, man, he did 1985 from Band on the Run, that oh. thing. That was one of my favorite things, too, because that song is – I mean, I'm a kind of an arrangement nerd. That song is so well arranged, and yeah. it's just a fun, quirky song. And, you know, Band on the Run's a damn near perfect album anyway, so he could have played that whole thing. But uh, And then he'd go, into, he'd go into Temporary Secretary, which was like from the early 80s, and it's like a new wave song. And wow. everybody just kind of went, what? You know, And it was a single, but it, it, you know, it was a stiff single. But we were like, whoa. 
And then, you know, he played high, 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 you know, <laughs> like, and, uh, awesome. you know, going into like Beatles, like, you know, you expect some Sgt. Pepper tunes. I didn't expect being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, but he played it and it was wow. amazing. And especially wow. playing John's songs was real out of nowhere because I, I know he I know he does that. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to lean more towards your stuff. But he played that and he played uh, something you know, George's song. And that was a tribute to George, of course. And that, that song hasn't done a lot for me in a long time. But when I heard it at the show, it was kind of like one of those moments where it's like, I'm okay. I'm fine. Right. You know? Wow. Very it was, cool. it was emotional. Yeah. I know yeah. he's coming through uh, New Jersey and I think he's doing two nights, uh, like literally 15 minutes from my house. So I, I want to try to make one of those nights, but we looked at the calendar and it was like, it was like a weird like time where we had like a bunch of other shows and you know how it is between cost of shows and, and uh, you know, getting a babysitter and and all that stuff. You kind of have to pick your poison, but I do want to see him. So you're uh, hearing you talk about it makes me want to figure out a way to make that happen in September here in New Jersey. Speaking of the Beatles, of course, John had, I believe two sons, right? Julian and yeah. Sean Lennon. And, you know, I'll probably get shit about this from a lot of people, but I am a fan. A, I would say a big fan of Lana Del Rey. I just, I love her vibe. I love her whole voice um, and the way she just the beautiful soundscaping she has going on her songs. So I, I definitely was uh, excited when she released Lust for Life, her new record last week. Listen to it all the way through. A lot of great stuff on the record. It's not, I mean, if you're, if you're one of my talking metal listeners and you know, you only listen to Slayer and Anthrax, obviously you're not going <laughs> to like it. But uh, if you have an open mind, I, I suggest giving it a, a try. And on the record, is a song by uh, that she does with Sean Lennon, uh, John Lennon's son, and it's called Tomorrow Never Came. I was in my car when this song came on, and you know she sings, uh, starts singing it, and then he comes in, and I got goosebumps when his voice came on because it just sounds. This song specifically sounds. It's he sounds like John Lennon on this song, and I mean it. It's just you. You. He's. You know, I don't know if he's trying to mimic his father or that's just the way he sounds. But, I mean, he sounds exactly, not exactly, but close to being John Lennon on this song. And if you're a John Lennon fan, I I highly recommend you check the song out um, off the Lana Del Rey record, Lust for Life. Again, Tomorrow Never Came, featuring Sean Ono Lennon, is how they credit him on, on the song. And... You know, it got me thinking about Sean Lennon, and he's somebody I've always known about. But you know, I had yeah. the Julian Lennon record with the one, the one, the one hit on it. Uh, I forget what it was. Yeah, Vo- it's a uh, called Velot. Velot. Yeah, I, I still have yeah. it in my vinyl collection right over here, and yeah, and that's a good record. Like it that's, is. It, it's a good record. Like Phil Ramone produced it, and man. The circumstances under which he probably made that record, I, I can't believe it's as good as it is, you know, because, yeah. I mean, the pressure had to be extraordinary. And- well, yeah, and that brings me to Sean, because, you know, I remember 
Sean, like he was, got signed to to Grand Royal, mm-hmm. the the Beastie Boys label, and I, you know, he was kind of a, a, a fixture on the New York scene when when I when I was living in New York City and and uh, a big part of the music scene there, but no one ever really took the guy seriously. And this is an inside story. I recorded with uh, uh, the manager of Ween. He also was a recording engineer. And I remember him telling me, I'm not going to say his name because it's, but sure. I remember him telling me this is when Ween were as big as they ever got, you know, late 90s or whatever. And him, sure. him telling me that Sean Lennon had, had wanted to work with the guys in Ween and, and you know, they, they kind of didn't have time to do it. And it almost made it sound like he was getting blown off by, you know, yeah. by Ween and Ween's manager and, and, you never really heard much of his music. I mean, I kind of always knew, well, he made music and he worked with this person and that person. But this Lana Del Rey yeah. song kind of got me going back through his old catalog. And I mean, he's been putting out music for years. And I was in, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I, I never really paid much attention. And, you know, my brother yeah. was into the... Uh, the Claypool Lennon Delirium record that that yeah. came out in 2016, and they just dropped a new song like two weeks ago um, off, I guess, a forthcoming record, and it's great too. So Sean Len- and it's totally different from the Lana Del Rey song in in its style. Uh, again, it's Les Claypool from Primus fame and and John Lennon's son, Sean Lennon, and it's it's just fantastic. It's uh, Satoria, Satoriae, Satoria, and it's on Spotify right now. It just came out about two weeks ago. Great stuff that I highly recommend, and that sent me back to listen to the next thing that I found by him on Spotify, which was a movie soundtrack for Ava's Possessions, and I started listening to that, and I was like, wow, this is great, too. And so, I, yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that here's this guy. And then I went back to the next record after that. I just started scrolling down <laughs> Spotify. And, and here here I am, you know, in well into my 40s and have always known about Sean Lennon, but never, you know, he never had MTV hits. He never had FM radio hits. Right. And, and right. here was all this great stuff by a guy who I suspect – his name may, I mean, it may have actually hurt him, at least for me, you know, I, I was never really, oh, yeah, John Lennon's son, you know, I, I don't know. Sure. I, it, it probably, in a way, it should have helped, should have turned my ears towards him, but I don't think it did. I think in a way, it kind of made me yeah. just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, he can't can't be anything like his father, you know, which who, who could be, but I feel like I've, yeah. I've missed out on Sean Lennon's career. Have you been yeah. tuned in to what he's been doing through the years no honestly i haven't i could tell you some of the perceptions that i have of him uh you know as far as what i knew of him and i think he did have a lot of things going against him i think a public perception him being yoko's kid and not cynthia's kid i think hurt him really i mean i think that's just the way it is yoko's so vilified and you know i think that's a lot of it because julian definitely gets more sympathy as well as he probably should because he was kind of the abandoned kid so there's that on t- uh, and then you know the whole thing like the public perception I have of him personally I I saw him dating models and movie stars and stuff like that yeah, like totally. he's only kidding I'm like he's only kidding he's just riding the name and all this other stuff but 
between the stuff that I did here when he first came out, because I know he did some stuff with Chibamato also, because he was yes. dating one of the one of the ladies in Chibamato, but yeah, uh, he aged very well. I think he's just going to prove to be a late bloomer. Uh, you know, I, I always liked hearing him talk about music. I'd see him in certain interviews over the years, like on some of those package shows, and I'd see him on some documentaries. Like he's on uh, the Beach Boys documentary called Endless Harmony, and okay. he's a He's a really good ambassador as a Beach Boys fan because he'll tell you to dig deep just like I do. And, you know, he even says, well, the Beach Boys were using these chords before the Beatles ever did. So they were really the innovators here, you know. So they, like this is a Beatle kid saying the Beach Boys were more musically advanced at one point than the Beatles were. Right. So things like that. But so he always seems like a cool guy to me. But I think there are some things that just hurt his music career on the surface and that's you know the celebrity type stuff well cool yeah i think people if you haven't checked out sean lennon's work maybe because he's sean lennon do yourself a favor and go check some of it out um very diverse guy very wide variety of sounds out of this guy and i i think a, a true talent i mean he was even i was reading too he i guess he played bass with albert from the strokes in his solo band and you know, he's kind of been all hmm. over the place. So uh, interesting character who I, at this point in my life, plan to start learning more about because what I've heard in you know the last week alone, I've been very impressed by. Uh, another show that I have coming up, which, you know, I think I'm thinking of hitting Queen next next week with Adam Lambert. Have you seen that uh, version? Uh no, I haven't. I, I, I just I can't do Adam Lambert and right. Queen. I'm fair sorry. Enough. Yeah. No, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. It's not. It's not something I was, I was, seeking out. But as it turns out, the the kids are doing like an overnight to their grandmas. So Emily and I were like, well, what shows are around? So we either have Blondie with Garbage opening up down Ooh. in Red Bank, New Jersey, which is like kind of far. It's like an hour drive and. Is it? Okay. Because yeah, I, I would definitely go to that show. Over yeah. Queen. Well, the thing is, Queen's in New York City, so we kind of figured like, hey, we uh, could, you know, go do some drinking night. and take public yeah. transportation. And, and whereas if we go to the Blondie garbage show, it's it's a lot of driving. And I, so I don't know. We're kind of still on the fence, but we're kind of leaning towards yeah. Queen with Adam Lambert. Um and sure. another show that I have coming up in September is Roger Waters. And I've, I've never seen anybody from Pink Floyd. And I've always been an enormous wow. Pink Floyd fan. You know, I've read the book Saucer Full of Secrets, which you haven't, if you haven't read, it's just an v- awesome yeah. read about Pink Floyd. Yeah. So I, I, this is me just trying to actually kind of steal a plug for Rock Strikes Tim. But years ago, when. You came on my show, Mark, which yeah. is – I still appreciate you doing that. You did your Desert Island show, your top 10 Desert Island. It's kind of a non-metal list, which I, I really enjoyed that you did that. And I remember you had animals on your top 10. So. Oh, yeah. Great. And he's I'm, doing I'm excited. I'm excited for you to get to see it. Yeah, yeah he's doing a lot off of animals uh, on this, this recent tour. So anyways, you know, I, I'm totally excited to see Roger Waters and – Went out for drinks with uh, a friend of mine who is uh, 
Eh, I wasn't going to say his name, but I'll, I'll say because chances that he hears this, and I'm not going to say anything real bad about him, but uh, are yeah. probably slim. Anyways, uh, John Wiederhorn, who who co-wrote Scott Ian's book and Al Jorgensen's okay. book and uh, best-selling New York Times author, and he writes for you know Rolling Stone, Revolver. He he does a daily post on yahoo.com mm. pretty pretty mm. big time rock journalist i was out with him is, and my friend is that the guy that wrote uh, louder than hell exactly yes yeah, yeah. great book yeah yeah oh. yeah he's a, he's a really talented guy we go to some shows together and he he lives not too far from me so he came over cool. to my neighborhood and we grabbed my friend karen who is deep purple's current publicist and she's done tons of stuff, including you know, she was Mariah Carey's publicist for a while. She was like pretty big time. And she kind of got out of the business when she had kids. And anyways, now she's kind of getting back into it. And she is doing Deep Purple and some other kind of up and coming acts. So anyways, great, great lady. So we, the three of us went out for uh, a couple beers and, and drinks at the local pub. Actually, dinner. We got dinner, too. And... Um, you know, we were talking about shows and what who we went, who saw what, and what's going on. And you know, they were they're both, uh, you know, I would say non-practicing Jews. And I, with pride, said, "Hey, I'm uh, can't wait. You know, I'm going to see Roger Waters." And they oh. both kind of <laughs> like they both yeah. kind of were like, "Well, yeah, you know, we." And and I will say, and I'm not. I know people always get ticked if I ever kind of hint at politics, but I will say both sure. of them are big anti-Trump people like, like crazy. Sure. I like, I mean, I, they're like really, really anti-Trump, which it's sure. no secret. So is Roger Waters. Yeah. But, so Waters is 50, 50 with them basically is what you're yeah, saying. Well, not even, they were like, you know, well, because of his, you know, criticism of Israel, you know, we could, yeah. we could never support that, you know, respect his music. And, you know, the, the friend I'm going with he, uh, to the show, he's half Jewish and, and I'd call him agnostic, you know, he's not practicing, but he, uh, he, you know, he even said, and he's an enormous Roger Waters fan and Pink Floyd fan and like one of the biggest fans I know. I mean, he knows Radio Chaos. He knows all the obscure, obscure Roger Waters stuff. And and you he, uh, you know, he even he was like, yeah, well, it makes me a little uneasy. <clears throat> so I started thinking, you know, and, and I will say that I've heard Roger Waters' criticism and I've heard of of Israel, and I've heard people distort what he's saying and calling him a Nazi and all this stuff, which is so far from the truth. This guy's father yeah, was killed. I wouldn't killed. go that far. Yeah, he, his father was killed by Nazis in 1944 yeah. while his mother was pregnant to him. He hates Nazis. And I mean, anybody yeah. who knows the music he makes should should realize that. But yeah. But, you know... And and okay, I'm trying to tread lightly here, but his criticism of Israel is that there are they they are doing things that are unfair to a race of people, or and and that they there is uh, he calls Israel an apartheid state. There are crimes, you know, against humans going on there that shouldn't be happening. Uh, that he considers illegal by the UN standards, 
and, and so whether I agree with those statements or not, um, I guess the thing I wonder is, you know, and, and some people have been saying, well, okay, even if he say, what he's saying is true, why isn't he also calling out other countries? And why is yeah. he focusing on Israel? And I guess that's where s- some of the, uh, you know, the uncertainty about, about him is coming from. Uh, you know, and and I, I get that because you know, listen, I, I Iraq and Iran and Syria and and yeah. North Korea and other. I mean, we could just go on and on with dozens of yeah. awful countries where awful things happen to people. And I don't yeah. even mean to put Israel in in the same boat as, as those countries, but you know, it, it, so it's like. I guess the question to me is, do these rock stars just need to shut up? You know, I mean, is it better if they don't get into this? Because Roger Waters is all in. He claims that even when he plays Kansas City or deep in a red state, that people still like it. Uh, the, yeah. Apparently, the stage show is very anti-Trump. I haven't seen it. Uh, I know for which I think he's even I think he's even dialed back some of that from some of the initial performances, like at the uh, road trip festival last year. He literally just put fuck Trump on the uh, LED screen. And I don't know if he's still doing that or not, but I don't think he is because I think we would have heard that at this point. I heard it's still and, pretty uh, intense, you know, and I did watch an interview yeah, yeah. where he says, I hate it. I hate Hillary too. He's like, you know, and anyone <laughs> who comes to my show who thinks, you know, I'm going to be embracing some politician or something, it, it doesn't yeah. know my music and shouldn't be there. He estimates 10 yeah. people a night leave his show because of what's going on, sure. which, you know... And, he was just down here. Yeah, exactly. He was just down here about a month ago and there were no fist fights, you know, in the hallway or anything, which in Texas, that's, that could be a miracle for a show like that. But, you know, the, the short answer is, uh, they shouldn't go there. You know, that that's the short answer. I know Alice Cooper always says that 100% would never speak of an affiliation, even off stage rock and roll should always be the antithesis of politics in the, in the short. So there's that. But at the same time, man, like I think waters going political and bring it onto his stage is not so shocking to me. It'd be more shocking if meatloaf started to preach on stage during his show about politics. Cause we know where he stands, but he doesn't do it, you know? So, cause his, his music is more escapism and, and not that Pink Floyd's and Roger Waters music can't be escapism, but it's very topical and on point. And, you know, I mean, the freaking Nazi imagery throughout the wall movie, I mean, you, you kind of understand where they're coming from. So it's not, I don't think it's such, such a big shock. I, you know, it's their prerogative not to issue warnings. I mean, the uh, reviews are going to do that for you in advance. So, right, right. you know, and, that's and, and his I will journey. Say, anybody who thinks Roger Waters, which there's this rabbi uh, guy who started this big criticism of of Roger Waters, and you know, Roger is uh, a part of this boycott. Uh, boycott. Um, I think it's called boycott. Derestment and sanctions program against Israel, and he. I mean, he's. Roger Waters is all in on this. He spoke at the UN about it, yeah. which I listened to. Uh, yeah. But the, anybody... Stern hates him. Like, Stern trashes him all any, the time now. Yeah, anybody who thinks that that he's uh, a Nazi, though, I think is uh, out of their minds. I mean, Nazis murdered sure. this guy's father and, and caused him lots of mental anguish over this. So, uh, you yeah. know, I... I 
you know, when I Ted Nugent, he's lost me. I, I, I it's like I loved <laughs> old Ted Nugent, but like oh. whenever the guy opens his mouth now, like I don't want, I don't want to hear it, you know. Um, huh. And maybe that's because I tend to lean a little bit left of center. I consider myself yeah. more of a guy in the center, yeah. but uh, it's, I'm definitely Ted Nugent. Such a sad. Yeah, it's such a sad case, the Nugent thing. I mean, this so, guy is I mean, still I one of the him, he's know. one of the greatest living guitar players in the world right now, and it kind of doesn't matter. Like cuz he's he's made it such about that when it comes to him that even if you went to see him play and he wasn't going to talk between songs, which he does, but even if he wasn't, I think it still hurts him. He's gone that far um to where it's almost like I don't even want you coming to my show if you don't agree with the things that, that I'm all about. And that that's that's when it gets really sad and unfortunate, you know. Yeah. So I mean, just, I know Springsteen it, goes political during his shows and I I you know, so I I'm on the fence about it. I mean, it's like it's like I I guess yeah. I I give people like Roger Waters and for that matter Ted Nugent or Kid Rock, you know, credit yeah. for for being able for having the guts to go up on on stage and do that. However, I do agree that sometimes I just don't want to hear that out of, you know, yeah. out of, especially with how, how, uh, explosive it is right now, just to, with politics, I avoid talking it with my family, you know, it's like, it's right. like, so it's like, you know, but then there's part of me that's like, if, if it agree, if they tend to agree with what I believe, part of me is like, you know, they should do it, but uh, which is just stupid because yeah. they, they shouldn't. But yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, but it, it's my, uh, my entire, uh, my entire immediate family on my side, all right wingers. And I'm the only one that's like either progressive or left. Right. So yeah, it, it sucks. But you know, I, it, you made me just think of what Springsteen did. I think it was a couple of years ago. He refused to play a show in an arena in a state that was, uh, you know, pro that bathroom law right, that North was going Carolina, on, you know, think, all, yeah. All, yeah, all that bullshit. Yeah. And I get where he's coming from with that, but I don't like it. Like, and he seems like such a cool guy for the most part, in my opinion. But I think that when, when you're taking that on your fans, like, I don't dig that. What he should have done is he should have canceled the show in the venue, have the fans get the tickets back and then, you know, roll up in a flatbed outside the place and have porta bodies lined up around it. <laughs> Right. And and play the show for free, you know, like as a that would have been a great protest. You know, just yeah. things like that. You gotta Unisex think, you know. porta potties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's there's solutions here, but yeah, I don't you know, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to inserting politics and personal beliefs into entertainment. It's always yeah. fun, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, I like I said, I, I I tend to, I think, I guess my verdict on the Roger Waters thing is that I, I get it, but maybe he's gone a little too far with it. That's, I think, my my verdict on it. Um, again, I need to do more reading and more research. And there is a good Facebook post that he, he put on his like official Facebook page back in 2013, where he kind of like debunks a lot of what people are saying about him. And if you have, if, if you have opinions about what he's saying or somebody told you that he said such a, such a thing, I suggest you go read that Facebook post from 
2013, mm. where he kind of breaks things down. I mean, this is a guy, he has mm. Jewish grandkids, you know, the, um, because mm. his daughter-in-law is mm. Jewish. Uh, his father was murdered by Nazis. So, uh, and I think you should mm. go read the Facebook page before mm. you judge him from what you're reading on Sure. You know, the internet, which people just yeah. make stuff up, as we know. Sure. Uh, anyway, and I almost I almost yeah. forgot. Um, oh, sorry. No, so go sorry. ahead. Uh, I almost forgot to mention this one. Uh, Todd Rundgren is out on the road right now. And he even said in his press release, which he's not his music's not political at all, at least not anything that I've ever heard. And I've heard quite a bit of his stuff over the years. He, he put in his press release and says in all of his interviews, if you're a Trump fan, you might want to stay home for this one. Okay. You're probably well, not going to like right? anything I might say. Yeah, he yeah. did. The, at least he did that. You yeah. Know? I, you yeah. know what? That That's I give him credit for doing that. I do. I think that's yeah. that's that's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. Yeah. Um, oh. And, you know, I, I, I want to wrap it up here because we're trying to keep these uh, to about 40 minutes. But the one thing. I heard somebody say recently, and it really dawned on me is is a is a true statement, and that's that. You know, Elvis is kind of disappearing from popular culture, and and yeah. I I think it's so true. I mean, you know, Elvis died. I was alive when he died. I remember when he died, and it it took a f- a few years. It probably took a decade after he died, but suddenly he became this iconic almost excuse me but almost christ-like you know figure yeah oh yeah uh, you know? yeah and 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 that was so strong for so many years but i feel like in the last 10 years especially maybe even 15 he slowly faded we don't hear people talk you hear people talk about the beatles way more than elvis nowadays you hear the beatles oh, yeah. music way more than elvis there's there's no radio yeah. stations at least in new york city that would ever play an elvis song uh he he's he he's yeah. really yeah. Vanished. the oldie stations are yeah the oldie stations are playing 80s music yeah, now kenny Loggins. So. yeah yeah it's like yeah <laughs> yeah maybe some Cross, 70s yeah. Yeah, you got to go on like Sirius fifties or Elvis radio on Sirius to to hear Elvis nowadays. Yeah, I think a lot of that. Um, who that? Who is at fault for that? For the disappearance of Elvis is whoever is handling his estate, uh, and you know those things switch. I think over the years sometimes. So for for dead icons, there are people running the business of that icon. Yeah. So well, you know the family in, sold the rights to to his music and everything like probably like 10 to 12 years ago. And I have to wonder if that has something to do with this. Well, that obviously was a mistake considering what is going on or the lack of what's going on. The last thing they really did to push Elvis was do that, uh, junkie XL remake back in 2002 or something like that. And that right. thing was a hit, Yeah, you know, so it was a legit hit like all over the world. So they had something with that. And, yeah, like the legacy of Elvis. I mean, it's told by people that grew up on him and became famous and got into music because of him. But yeah, like the average kid, if you went on the street and interviewed 100 kids right now my under kids. the age of, you know, 20, 25, they don't care. They don't know him. Yeah, my kids don't know who Elvis is. They've never heard of him. And it's like, you know, the the other thing I can't help but wonder is, are, you know, sadly, are we losing the Elvis fans. I mean, my grandparents liked Elvis. You know, they're not here anymore. My mom, my mom just turned seventy. She she liked Elvis somewhat, but then when she got a little older, she got she went the Beatles route. You know, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, it's and and people who are getting into their seventies at this point aren't really as 
active in pop culture, you know, the pop yeah. culture universe as they once were. But yeah, I definitely yeah. feel like Elvis, his his influence, his iconicness, his the spiritual Elvis is uh, is fading and, and fading quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just, weird. It's like interesting observation. Yeah, like even like Sinatra still seems big, you know, like yeah. at least, you know, around yeah, record yeah, stores and, yeah. and stuff like that. Like Sinatra still kind of has it going on, but like Sinatra was always your grandparents' music or your older parents' music. So yeah, and not that they didn't like Elvis too, but it took them a while, I think, with some yeah. of them. It's got to be a marketing yeah. thing then. It's got to be that yeah. the people aren't pushing it like they, they used to. I mean, that, and yeah. and I do know that, yeah, they this family gave up the, the rights and sold it off like yeah. probably at least a decade ago. So interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think, guys. Um, you can uh, leave us a comment here on the website in the comment section. You can leave a review for this on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. And you can check out Joey on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast that's available on iTunes. And Joey, before uh, I let you go tonight, what what are you listening to? Uh, I've got three quick ones here for you, more, more rock and roll based. Uh, a band called Heavy Tiger out of Sweden. Have you heard them yet? I ha- I believe I have heard them, but um, yeah. I need to revisit. They were, them, yeah. yeah, they're a all female power trio, no, and they no, play no, just no, like they just play like it's like a throwback garage, little little glam, little garage. The album's called Glitter, and I've been listening to that one a lot. I mean, like like the lyrics are not deep whatsoever, but that's rock and roll, and some of them are almost like bordering on cheesy lyrics, but everything is real catchy. You know, you're kind of singing the choruses by the second one. You don't even realize it. So Heavy Tiger, I'm Glitter, check it out. I think it's import only now. They don't even have an American deal. But they did just open for Kiss over the spring in Sweden. So I wish I could have seen that. Uh, of course, Cheap Tricks, new one, We're All Right, is a lot of fun. It's cool. way better than the last album. Yeah, it smokes the album from last year. And, you know, since they've been on Big Machine Records, they definitely say they feel a need to put out more product because the label actually is backing them. So that's why they've been kind of on a roll lately. But this one's way better. It's got a cool cover of uh, Jeff Flynn and Roy Wood's pre-ELO band, The Move. Right, sure. Uh, an, an, album, an album called, or, sorry, an album. It's a song called Blackberry Way. It's a nice little bonus on the album, cool cover. That's because uh, they've covered The Move before because California Man from Heaven Tonight was a Move song as well. Uh, also, Rancid's new one, Troublemaker. Are you a Rancid fan at all, Mark? You know, I've always liked them whenever I hear one of their songs, but I wouldn't say I'm a fan because I don't really know much about them. Need to uh, need to Fair get, enough. Some get of the, educated, yeah. Yeah, some of their records are better than others, but this one I think is one of the better ones. They have a new album called Troublemaker. Nice. And there's a song there's a song on there. I heard it first actually when they were being interviewed on Sirius, and this guy said, This news this song of yours called Bobber Rock and Roll. It sounds like a Slade song. And they were like, oh. Yeah, that was totally intentional. He goes and they name dropped, uh, you know, bands like the Hello People, and right. they even talked about Ace Fraley's solo album from '78. Really they go, because we love that stuff. And he goes, we could have done a whole album of this. Right. <laughs> and I was wow. like, man, I wish you would have. So check out the song "Bobber Rock and Roll," oh, especially by will. Rancid. Cool. But uh, Troublemaker, cool album. Uh, they're not coming to my town so far on this tour, but they're touring with uh, Social Distort. Oh wait, they're touring with. Uh, I think they're touring with Dropkick Murphys, who have a decent album out this year as well. 
Cool. And you know, uh, my, so my son come... likes my older son, who is eight, likes that band, and he's a banjo player, yeah. and he thinks it's uh, real cool that they they have a banjo guy in the band. So yeah, awesome. They, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. Cool. Well, Joey, as always, it's been great chatting with you and talking rock with you. Where can the people connect with you on social media? You can uh, go to cnjradio.com. That's where every episode of Rock Strikes 10 is because only the latest 100 are on iTunes. There's also uh, the Synaptic Podcast that I produce with Randy Brown, who does basically like a college rock old school show where he plays anything from you know, Casey Musgraves to, to Slayer, you know, so awesome. check that show out. It's a, it's a cool show. You would like it a lot, Mark. I and, uh, yeah, he's going to be at the Nashville rock and pot expo as well. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, yeah, guys you come to Nashville, Andrew. August 26th. Joey and I will be there. Looks like our tables are right next to each other too. So, uh, we'll, yeah, I might've asked for that. Oh, so, cool. Uh, cool. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so we will be at the rock and pod expo in Nashville, Tennessee. Come join us there. It's August 26th and tons of podcasters hanging out. A lot of rockers and fun stuff going on. Uh, And then for you Kiss fans, by the way, uh, I I have to get this in while I'm still plugging my show. I'm sorry. Uh, If you're a big Kiss fan or you haven't yet been indoctrinated into Kiss, I just did a three-parter over the weekend where I took the borrowed with permission rock and roll geek scoring system and ranked every Kiss album, every Kiss studio album to actually find out what my favorite Kiss album is because I've never known before until recently. Wow. So okay. there's a, a three-part episode called Rock and Rank Kiss Special Part 1, 2, and 3. It's Those are the three last episodes of Rock Strikes 10. Okay, awesome stuff. Can't wait to hear those. Joey, until next time, thanks for uh, talking rock with me. Anytime, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're looking for trouble? You came to the right place. Looking for trouble? Just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green-eyed man to judge because of evil. My middle name in misery. You are listening to an on-location, in-person episode of Talking Rock. I'm here with Joey Haney, and we are at the Rock and Pod Expo. Joey, how are you? I'm doing excellent. I mean, this expo is pretty, it's overwhelming, and to even just be standing here face-to-face recording one of these instead of being on Skype. Right. That's everything to me right now, yeah. so thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and thanks to Chris Sinzak, especially from the Decibel Geek podcast, for putting this all together. We have all sorts of people here. There are uh, numerous KISS podcasts. Greg Renoff, the great Van Halen historian and author of Van Halen Rising, is here. Michael Butler of the Rock and Roll Geek Show. John Astronomy is here. Of course, Joey Haney and Nola from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Nola, how are you? Doing great. How are y'all? We are good. We are good. And let's just talk about this history of podcasting, because it's really kind of come to a head here. History of rock podcasts. What are some of your earliest memories of rock podcasts that you were listening to, Joey? 
that's easy. I mean, I, I will be honest. I'm standing next to you, Mark, but i got to be honest. Michael Butler was the first one, Rock and Roll Geek Show. Yes. Literally, when you get an iTunes account and you get an iPod for the first time, I was like, what's a podcast? And then there's a search engine. I type in rock and roll. That's the one you get. Yes. Subscribed. And then the next day, I literally went on the computer the next day and typed in heavy metal. Right. And I got talking metal. That's how it worked for me. Then that's uh, then I never looked back after that. So right. still, still weak loyal to both of those shows because it's you know I, I'm a pretty loyal guy. But at the same time, if you guys weren't putting out good episodes, still, who'd be listening? Right. So I got I got to hand it to you guys for doing it after all these years, twelve years now, I believe for you. I'm in my fifth or so year. Yeah, it has been 12. It, it's like you say 12, and I'm like, well, maybe it's only been 11. But no, it's been 12 years this month, Talking Metal, uh, my one of my other podcasts. We, are, of course, here are doing Talking Rock, which Joey has kind of helped me relaunch. And uh, we've been talking, having some good conversation on on rock music on the, on this show, so I hope you join us. This is just kind of a, a special little brief episode here live from the uh, recording live at the Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee on August 26, 2017. Let's talk some music. Joey, who, what shows do you have coming up? Uh, next month I got Kiss in sep- September. Cool. Was that in Dallas? Yeah, well, actually Irving, Texas, which is the former home of the Dallas Cowboys, they just erected a new mini shed out there called the uh, like Irving Rock Pavilion or something. And mu- Irving Music Factory Pavilion. Yeah, thank you, Nola. She's the good fact checker there. And, uh, yes, nice. So it's going to be on September 24th. And so it's going to be in September, something like that. Anyway, sorry. I'm so sorry. But... There's a lot of people running around here. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So it's going to be like take your shed and kind of cut it in half. Yeah. And it's like a cool, like almost like a intimate shed. Okay. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this new venue is like. So cool. anything 10 minutes from my house, you've got me. Right. So I'll be going to more shows there. Scorpions, Megadeth in October. But looking forward to the Kiss show, of course. They're, they're in cruise mode right now. So hoping they'll bust out a few more obscurities they might have planned. Do a little beta testing before. Is, is this an official Kiss tour? They're not really on tour right now, or are they? I don't know. They're doing like spots, like they're right. doing like blocks of shows throughout the year because it's called the Kiss World Tour. So it's literally all over the world, but they're doing like brief dates in all parts of the all parts of the world. Yeah. Where do you think Kiss go from here? I mean, you know, it's it's it, Stanley's voice is not quite what it used to be. Uh, I always still have a great time when I see them. I haven't, of course, seen them since 2014 when I saw them in Las Vegas. That you were at that show too, uh, two shows I saw out there. But but where, where do they go? Um, you know, I for one, people are like, oh well, they're going to have trouble filling filling places if they go on tour again. Right now, I kind of disagree because I know in the New York City, New Jersey area, they really haven't hit that market in a number of years. I think they could do uh, well without Ace or Peter in the mix if they went out you know, and hit the major markets again. Uh, some people disagree. What's, what's the short-term future for KISS? Because at this point, it is only a short-term future. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, and I think Simmons said recently, I mean, he'll say anything, but they said they have maybe five years left in them. I say the more vocal time, honestly, the more vocals you give in the show to Tommy and Eric, give Eric more leads. Eric, Eric can sing songs off Hotter Than Hell. Give it to him. Gene's been stepping up really well over the last few years. I mean, you saw him in Vegas. That's probably the best I've seen Gene since the reunion tour. 
he has really stepped up over the last few years. So the more Gene songs you can kind of squeeze in without it being too obvious, right? Take less load off Paul. That'll that'll make the uh, the timer a little bit higher there. Like they, the shelf life will be extended quite a bit if you do those two things. Just concentrate on your strengths, just like you would do any live show. You know. Right on. Cool. What other? Paul. That being said, I love Paul. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Me too. And what other shows do you got coming up? Kiss. Who else? Scorpions, Megadeth. Nice. Me what too. else we got? She she knows. She's the player. Chris Isaac. Oh yeah. Isaac. Very. Rock, uh, yeah. Very good. You seen him live before? No. Okay. You a fan or not a fan? Uh, I, I'm not. I, I'm. I have nothing against him, but I can't say I'm a fan. No. I just know the. Yeah. You know the radio stuff. Understood. Yeah. I would definitely go see him if you get a chance. He's one of those guys. that's like, you know, those like good-looking guys that they they're so self-disparaging. They're almost kind of charming. Yeah. That's what he's like. I mean, right. he's down to wearing the Buck Owens jackets now because he's a little older. Right. So you get that. You get that kind of presentation. Like he does a lot of covers, yeah. so you're gonna be fine with most of his set list. Plays a lot of Elvis, a lot of Roy Orbison. Oh, cool! So you know stuff like that because he can sing them. Yeah. So there's that, and uh, Michael Butler's here. Uh, oh, cool. Cool. So there's <laughs> so like I'd go see him. He's he always says that they're the kings of semi-professional entertainment. Right. Right on. Cool. And as far as new music that you're listening to, anything that you can think of that pops into your head? I'd probably just repeating some of the stuff on the earlier episodes. I mean, the Alice record just came out recently. The Alice Cooper record is good. It's it's uh, it's more good than bad. I'd say three quarters, super strong. Very strange. They have Larry Mullen from U2 playing drums on that. That's such an odd thing. Yeah, and except for the two or three songs that Neil Smith plays on, he Larry plays on the whole record. Yeah, thank you. We're going to see Eagles of Death Metal, by the way, in, uh, in a couple of months. We're going to do two nights, San Antonio and Austin, so that means we're road tripping. They have a new live album out called I Love You All the Time, which uh, is their return to Paris after the unfortunate oh, attack. Okay, right. So there's a DVD and a CD out for that. That's a really high recommendation right there because they're at their peak right now. Yeah. Go see Eagles of Death Metal if they're headlining. Even if they're opening... They kind of stole it from Macedon. I love Macedon, right. but they they kind of kicked their ass a little bit in a way. Right. Yeah, they're playing Moon Age Daydream now. Oh, nice, Ooh. nice, very cool. And Nola's been joining you now uh, a lot on the Rock Strikes Ten podcast, the other podcast you do that you've been doing for a while now. Is uh, Nola? Are you enjoying? Whoa some craziness going on here. Uh, Nola, are you enjoying being a part of Rock Strikes Ten? Yeah, of course. Um, I always have a blast when I come on. You know, we we enjoy each other's company and time, and so any time that we get to go do something together and then and then talk about it, it's it's always really fun. It's like going back to that concert whenever we talk about it. What have been some of your favorite concerts, Nola? When you look back over your your lifetime of attending shows, which ones stand out as some of your favorites? Eagles of Death Metal. Every every single time, they they put on the best show. It's you can't sit down. You have to stand up. You have to shake your butt. And and if you're not, then you're just you're just a big old grump. <laughs> like you can't not have fun at an Eagle show, Eagles of Death Metal show. Let me. <laughs> yeah. Very good, guys. Definitely check out Joey and Nola on the Rock Strikes Ten podcast. This is Mark Striegel checking out on Talking Rock. We'll be back with a full episode soon. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Checking out from the Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee, August 26, 2017.
something a little different today. We're going to have a conversation about the monkeys with Christine Wolf and Emily Striegel. This dialogue was recorded at the Rock and Pod Expo back in August, I think on August 26th actually, of 2017. Uh, and big thanks to Christine for helping organize and helping out with the Rock and Pod Expo. I know she hooked us up with the the hotel room, and, and I know she was uh, helping out Chris Sinzak with the whole organization of things. So a big, big thanks to her. Joey Haney and myself will be back real soon with another episode of Talking Rock. But for, for now, let's hear Christine and Emily talk about the monkeys. Hello, Talking Rock listeners. This is Emily Striegel coming at you from the Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm here with Christine Wolf from the Zilch Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Emily. How are you? I'm loving this. I'm loving it. It's, our, it's the first annual Rock and Pod Expo, and I'm, I'm excited to see so many like awesome podcasts here today. Absolutely. I, I'm so thrilled to be meeting everybody that we've talked to and worked with for so long and finally getting to breathe the same air. And I just want to give all the thanks to Chris Sinzak and BJ and everybody else who really pulled together to make this an awesome event. It's really great. It is. I couldn't agree more. And it took so much work on their part. Here, Speaking of Chris, here he comes right now. He's walking around. He should be very proud of this this moment, finally, finally coming together. Absolutely. I want to hear a little bit about your podcast, so Zilch, a monkey's podcast. This caught my eye immediately upon walking in. Excellent. We hear that a lot, you know. Um, what we have found is there are a lot of closeted monkeys fans because, you know, it was kind of tough being a monkeys fan back in the day. It was not cool or you were thought of as the little kid to the big brothers and sisters. But as time has gone on, the monkeys have really come into their own. And Ken Mills, the podfather, is the one who started Zilch, a monkeys podcast about three years ago. And, uh, and we've got a rotation cast of characters that come on the show as, as co-hosts and uh, we've got a great community on Facebook if you are are not a part of it you need to find Zilch a monkeys podcast on Facebook and uh, listen to our show and join in the fun that's awesome well um, the monkeys 87 reunion tour was my first concert ever I was that's awesome and you know, you have to probably remember when there was, when 87 rolled around, there was a big resurgence. And that's when a lot of us discovered the monkeys. That's when I discovered the monkeys. I was in the fifth grade, and I became 
totally obsessed. Watched every episode, but then I got into the music and realized, wow, this isn't just a TV show. This isn't just a band that was on lunch pails. That's that's funny. I, I hear that story a lot. Mine is a little different. Um, I was actually one month old when the show came on the air, so I was not around to see the show the first time. But I did get all of my brothers and sisters hand-me-down 45s and albums. In fact, my mom tells the story that I was about two or three logging around our family's suitcase record player, finding a quiet place so that I could plug in and listen to Daydream Believer or Last Train to Clarksville. And I just grew up with the Monkees albums. And then in the 70s, when the reruns hit syndication, um, that's when I discovered the show. And I said, oh my God, somebody finally gave my favorite band a new TV show. I mean, what did I know from syndication? But... That's hysterical. So you didn't even know about the show. You you discovered the music first, which usually it was vice versa, wasn't it? I you know I think that it is a lot of times the 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 show first, but uh, uh, the music has really you know had legs and held up for. 51 years now and uh, you know finding new fans all the time and I mean with so many great songwriters that they had and the talent my god the talent every one of them could sing or play or write it was it's just a really really great project yeah I mean that's the Neil Diamond Okay, and then you get Zappa. So, like, when they got into their weirdish phase, right? Not weird, but I mean, Zappa came a little later, didn't he? Yeah, he was around for like 67, 68. He never wrote for them, but he got the concept, right? And and he was on the show, um, and you know, he he liked the subversive nature, I think, and 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 truly understood the comedy. So did um, John Lennon, a little a little known guy from Liverpool. He said he always tells the story that um, he thought the monkeys were like the Marx Brothers. So he got them as a comedy show where they actually performed, too. So Fantastic. And their album that came out, I think, last year was very critically acclaimed. Tell me a little bit about that. I actually feel terrible. I've only heard, like, two songs off of it. But everyone's talking about it, and I need to pick it up. I haven't. You do, absolutely. It's called Good Times, and it was for their 50th reunion or 50th anniversary 50 years, and they had brand new material, a mix of some old songs that they found in the vault, like Davy is singing on one song, and it's his, oh, it's so beautiful. And um, it's called Love to, uh, uh, Gotta Have Love to Love, and it's his vocal that they mixed with um, some backing vocals with Mickey and Peter and Mike. And, Oh, Emily, I can't say enough about that album. You've got to get it. Yes, the critics. It was it was like the 12th best-selling album in 2016. Was it really? Yes. That's insane. So, and someone, per, well, no, 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 there were some writers on it. The guy from Weezer, did he do a song or someone? Yes, Weezer, Death Cab for Cutie. Um, oh, God, I, I'm going to blank on it. Um, X, uh, XTC, yeah. Oh, they were, they were tripping over themselves, writing for them. In fact, rumor has it, I'll tell you, it's uh, kind of a, a, a budding secret out there that there may be a follow-up album because there was so much material that they found in the vault and new material that they are hoping they can make make a new album out of it. How are they doing now touring-wise without Davey? You know, um, it's it's a different show, of course, but it's still a good show. Um, when Davey was with them, it was a production, a more of a a proper show as Davey would have called it. 
Um, without him, it's more of a rock show, right? It's it's them. They have the tightest damn backing band. We oh my God, John Billings on bass and um, Rich Dart on drums and and the amazing Wayne Avers on guitar and as their musical director and I'm mean, on and on. Uh, Coco Dolan's Mickey's sister, who has been singing with them since they were original in the '60s. She is still um, one of the back, background singers that, that tours. Yeah, and the, Mickey and Coco together are just so damn cute. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, it is such a fun, fun show to see. I, I traveled all over the country to see it for the 50th because, I, hello, it was the 50th. Yeah. But also um, with Zilch, we have such a, a strong community of fans and, and listeners that we have meetups around the country. Um, where, as the button queen, I give out buttons and I organize them and um, uh, have ambassadors. If I can't be there, they'll pass out the buttons for us. But we, we try to have a presence at all of the shows. That tour, of course, is over, but Mickey is still out there touring constantly. That man never... He never stops. I, I, I think if he's like a shark. If he stops, he might die. <laughs> Mickey can't ever die. Mickey no. was always my favorite. Always. My, mine too. <laughs> Although, you know, I have to admit, you know, Davey was awful damn cute. And, and you know, oh, well, I'll face it. I, I worked my way through all four of them in my mind. <laughs> Sound good. That sounded really... No, that's hysterical. I love it. I think we all have. All the Monkees fans have. <laughs> so what about Nesmith? Mike Nesmith. So in 87, he wasn't doing anything. He maybe did like one show with them, I, I think. I didn't see him. And then he kind of came back in the mix. What is he doing now? So, yeah, Nesmith has always had other th irons in the fire, right? He was in the, in the 70s and 80s. He did um, video distribution. So like when videotapes, all those old, not, like even before Blockbuster, you know, the mom and pop yeah. video stores you'd go to in the neighborhood. Um, he formed a company that helped get those movies into our hands. Yeah, and you know, and of course he did. Uh, he was a pioneer for helping uh, create the concept that became MTV. Um, and you know, so he's always been busy and always doing other things. Um, yes, when they reunited in '87, he did join them for one or two dates in in California, and you know, the world exploded. And the same thing for the 50th. He he did. Yeah, um, he he performed with them at the Pantages show in uh, in LA um, almost a year ago, just almost today. And um, that was an amazing show. I was fortunate enough. I, I played the odds that he might be, if any show he was going to be at, that would be the one. And I got tickets the day they got on sale, and I was front row in front of him. I was just, like, starstruck, right? Oh, it was it was the most surreal experience. He's got a really good, he's a good country player. Does he do a lot of country? He does. Well, yeah, he's, he's also considered one of the pioneers of country rock. He was right there at the beginning of that, too. Um, you know, uh, he played with the Nashville Cats, for instance, and, you know, had a, had a lot of influence on that genre as well. Um, and he's all over the album Good Times, too. So he doesn't tour with him. He, did, he said he is retired from touring. But he is all over that album, and and it's oh to hear the Mickey and Mike harmonies again. <gasps> oh, what was the Monkey song that he sang lead on, and he played guitar on that was very countryish? And there was a video that went along with it. I have to think about this. We'll edit it together because I can't I can't think of it right now. Original? Original? It was they, he played it on the show. What am I doing? 
Yes. Yeah. What am I doing hanging around? That's a very, that's a country song to me. That's very like bluegrassy. Yes. Very much, very much. I loved that. And we never really got to see Mike sing lead that often anyway. No, he he often would write and and let other people, like, um, uh, he wrote, oh God, I can't even think, he wrote so many songs and said, uh, Mickey, you need to sing this, or Davey, you, it, this one's really right for you. And yeah, yeah. Amazing. That's so cool. Well, it was a blast talking to you. I'm definitely going to, I'm so excited to find out about Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Everyone should listen in. So you said find you on Facebook. Where else can people listen to the podcast? So we're on blogspot.com, um, uh, uh, zilchmonkeyscast.blogspot.com. And uh, we're on iTunes, of course, and wherever your favorite podcasts can be found. So come, come find us. We'd love to have you around, monkey around with us. All right. Have a good day, Christine. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much. I'm so glad that I got her to think of. She's fine as any valentine. I think about her all the time. Cross my heart and hope to die. She sends me silly messages and pictures. Directing traffic in the mall or posing with some random shoes. She never fails to surprise. She makes me Hey, it's Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of Talking Rock. I believe this is the 26th episode, or probably five or six episodes into the the relaunch, the rebrand here. And I am joined on the other end of Skype by Joey from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Joey, how are you? I'm doing good this evening, Mark. How about yourself? Oh, good. It was great uh, reconnecting with you in person at the Great Rock and Pod Expo. I hope we can do it again next year. I uh, liked hanging out with you, going out to dinner with you and Nola. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was the highlight of our year. So, uh, yeah, the pleasure's over here. So thanks cool. again for hanging out with us. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Man, I just uh, I just hung up the phone with uh, this guy, Nathan Opposition, who I only recently discovered. He's got a bunch of records out. I just kind of wanted to mention this to the Talking Rock listeners. The The band is Ancient Wisdom, and it's a cult rock. They opened for Ghost back in the early days. And, you know, they have this theme where a lot of stuff is about Lucifer and Satan and the devil and stuff. And it, to me, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but it, 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 like Ghost, to me, it almost comes off as comical at times. Yeah. Uh, I, some people, but there is a real kind of evil sound to it at the same time. I'm sure it would probably freak some people out, but... I got to tell you, they're they're from Texas, uh, down down by you. Not actually, probably not too close to you. Austin. How far is Austin from where you are? Austin's about three hours, enough oh, okay. to go see shows occasionally. So. Yeah, yeah like no, Austin's good to him. Well, yeah, they're they're well. He's originally from Ohio, but he's down in Austin, which I guess is the the hip place to be nowadays. And uh, One great of them, yeah. great band, yeah, Ancient Wisdom. 
Okay, I'll check him out for yeah. sure. Yeah. And wisdom, he spells it with two capital V's, which I think would be a little <laughs> confusing, you know. But uh, on the flip side, it probably helps with Google searches. So don't spell that W with a W. Spell it with two capital V's when you're Googling it. Nice. Fun stuff. Ancient wisdom. Uh, so, again, and they opened for Ghost. The first time I saw Ghost, I saw this band also, I think they might also be from Texas, called King Dude. They opened, and they were, they're also like a cult rock, like more in the, John, almost like old country occult. Yeah. Um, yeah, the kind of rockabilly, psychabilly type band. Yeah, I know yeah, them. Yeah, I love, they were so good. I, I love, I love them. I know Chelsea Wolf is guested on some of their songs, and, and that's another great band. Are they from Texas? Do you know King Dude? Are they? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost positive that they are. I think they might also be from Austin. It seems like every other band is. Yeah. You know, we have bands moving to Austin. Like we, had, we had a great band from Denton, which is like 20 minutes from my house, called the Riverboat Gamblers. They moved out to Austin. So that's, right. Okay. That's where the action is in Texas. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So talking, speaking of live shows, again, I, I mentioned I saw King Dude open for Ghost many years ago. Ancient Wisdom opened for Ghost many years ago. Uh, but let's talk about things that we are seeing now in in concert. There's, I, I feel like we have so many concerts. Emily and I actually have been s- having to bail on some concerts and sell tickets because it's just it's just too much. There's there's so much stuff going on. She's been hitting shows on her own too. I've gone to a few on my own just because you know getting a babysitter. You know you can't do that more than once yeah. a week. At least that's kind of my rule. But um, so much stuff going on. Let's let's start with Roger Waters. I, I got to see him play in Newark, New Jersey, and I got to tell you, I've seen hundreds of shows, and I, I really think this may have been top ten for me. It's so nice. so awesome and trippy and different and great sounding. Uh, I mean, you know, I the, I will tell you that I had a little trouble at times when the guitar players or the backing vocalists, female backing vocalists would do Gil- Gilmore's vocals. You know, it's always hard for me. Uh-huh. You know, and this is kind of the issue I had with with Adam Lambert and Queen too. It's, it's very hard for me to hear uh, somebody else sing these these classic songs that we've been hearing since we were little kids. That, but that is, that that didn't even matter because the rest of everything was so incredibly awesome and amazing and visual and just this like multimedia experience with the screens and the pigs flying around and uh, you know I, I for one you know this was a Pink Floyd show in Jersey which you know Jersey it's it's not like Texas we're we're not quite a we're not a red state but we're definitely not a dark blue state like they I guess they say say uh, as far as the political side of things go sure. you know jersey's more light blue they always say but there there were a lot of you know old pickup driving white guys you know at at this show you know 50 something white guys who who probably were trumpers and i i just can't i mean the first you set you could say it's okay yeah you could well, say redneck. yeah I, you know, everywhere yeah but i i don't know you know the first set he had very little trump imagery or bashing there was like one little thing. And then he came back for the second set where he just musically just pulled out all the, the shit people wanted to hear. And he just freaking destroyed Trump. And, and I, there were people who were so 
ticked off by it and you're paying hundreds of dollars for your 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 ticket but me being an anti-trumper i i freaking loved it i thought it was <laughs> that was good and i just found it these people not have internet i mean like the buzz yeah. has been around the show for like a whole year now like do. how do you not know at this point it's crazy. right <laughs> you know and that's that, i think that's that's they should know and that's what roger waters is saying however there's there's a big portion of of casual fans who aren't actively searching down Roger Water interviews and, and, and trying to tune in and read about him and, and, and that aren't, you know, online on music sites and stuff. And they just don't know. They really don't know. And, and I, I think, you know, there, there, there has to be a, a good 10 to 20 percent of that audience who were probably pissed off you know about it and i i think it's great i think it's great because in these times to me it just is mind-boggling that there's a 75 four-year-old man up there and he's like so politically charged and and you know vigilant yeah yeah topical it's like and what are the kids doing? The, the biggest rebel we have is a 74-year-old man out there? I don't yeah. know. It's just... Exactly. It, it, There's, you know, the youth the youth voice is not represented, at least on a, on a mainstream capacity, for sure. They're, they're all staying out of it. And I'm not saying they're wrong for doing that, but it is interesting that this is the one guy that's really going for the jugular. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was absolutely just a magical magical night and to the point where like i've been looking at tour dates and saying well could i fly to toronto and and go see him again on you know on this day or that day probably not but i i I just i wanted more i wanted another night of it and just a awesome awesome concert i mean one of i I really enjoyed the maiden tour this i don't know if we've spoken since then but that that was fun i saw that twice uh this this summer but uh, once in Jersey, once over in in New York, but it's uh, Roger Waters. If if you if you're a crazy like pro Trump person, it could potentially tick you off. But if you know you're kind of uh, a moderate or leaning to the left, I, I think you won't have too much of an issue with it. And musically, just incredible, incredible night. Yeah. Now I have, a, I have a musical question about the water show for you, but uh, that yeah. just reminded me of something. When I went to go see Cheap Trick like 15 years ago, a couple of miles down the street from me, and they had the great Wayne Kramer opening up from MC5. Wow. And uh, if Wayne walked you know, through the door, you wouldn't even recognize him at this point. He's, you know, he's middle-aged, just regular glasses, no hair, you know, and but still punk rock at heart. Middle age. In the heart he's got to. Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's more than that. Yeah, yeah. Old but, age. Yeah. Like, like in Texas, and we're like in 2003. I want to say so. We're into the first Bush term at this point, and he divided that room on his second song like I've never seen a performer do. Really? He uh, nice. he just got right up there, and he's he's doing one of his songs. They got to the second verse. It's one of those ones where the band kind of plays really quiet while he does the lyrics. So you can really hear the lyrics, and on the second verse, he just goes. Where's Lee Harvey Oswald when you need him? Wow, well, that's <laughs> and, intense. That's a, that. That could potentially be an offense. I mean, you're not allowed yeah. to 
threaten the president's life no matter who he is i mean that's yeah wow. yeah I thought, I mean, he probably got a visit for that but like i mean i've never seen a room just go so like this part to see it's almost like everybody was going to get up and change seats from one side to the other that's it was that's pretty bold wild. in texas and that was in dallas <laughs> Yeah, yeah, wow. that was well, it was near enough to Dallas, between Dallas and Fort Worth and Grand Prairie, Texas, but yeah, <laughs> wow. but yeah, punk rock, you. Know? So, yeah. uh, my, uh, I had a question about the Roger Waters thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Musically, did he, you know, and I'm a, you know, I know enough about the songs, not being a huge Floyd fan, but did he bust out anything that was like a big surprise, like didn't expect to hear it, or was it pretty much just? Hit, hit, well, hit? I, I mean, I'm I, I'm the type of guy who goes online and studies the set lists over and over and over again uh, before I go see the show, which I, I I wish I wouldn't do because I remember when I was a kid, it was always so fun when you get hit with a surprise, and but anyway, yeah. I can't help myself. So there weren't <laughs> any big surprises. You know, he did pull back a little bit on material from the wall because his last he's done was, it so much. The wall. Yeah. You know, you got you definitely got the classics off the wall, but uh, the the coolest thing for me <laughs> was that he really embraced the Animals record, uh, and mm. and that's a record that never had big radio hits simply because the songs are so long. But he did Pigs and Dogs, so nice. Two out of the three the, animals, you know, no sheep, but uh, he, did, he did pigs and dogs. So, so surprising. But, yeah, I mean that record really only has three songs. Like five, I mean, it has yeah. it has it has the the, the intro, you know, uh, for pigs on a wind or whatever it is. But the three, yeah. the the bulk of that record is three songs, um, and he did two of them. So that was that was awesome. I mean, dogs was just incredible. Favorite Floyd record, isn't it? What's that? That's your is that your favorite Floyd record? I you know I think nowadays yes because and it's simply because that those songs when I was a kid they were never oversaturated and played on the radio. I mean to this day you turn on classic rock radio in New York or on Sirius you don't really hear those songs much. Yeah. You know. Um, so Except I except on deep tracks. Maybe <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know but but yeah I I would say. I guess maybe it's my favorite Floyd record. Um, they're all so good. I, 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 at least all the '70s era stuff I, I love so much. But who, who have you been going to see? You've seen some shows recently. Yeah, '70s era continued. Went to the Cheap Trick, Foreigner, Jason Bonham show, and I didn't realize this at the time, but it's the 40th anniversary of both of Foreigner and Cheap Trick's debut albums. So that's why they right. did this tour at this time. Which is crazy in itself. I wasn't even born then, but and we got the cheap tickets, like you know, local sales where you get like cheap London tickets. So uh, myself and Nola went out there. We drove out to Houston to see it. Okay. And it really nice outdoor shit out there. Nicer than the one we have in Dallas, I believe. But. Yeah, new trick, great as always. But you know, and it's gonna like, hey, you know, I've never seen Foreigner. Let's just go see him. Just to say that I'm actually kind of blown away by him. Like, right? You know, I've always just been a greatest hits fan of theirs, and yeah, they play all the hits. But I can't say enough nice things about Kelly Hansen. You were talking about how let down you were about Adam Lambert. Yes, Kelly Hansen is amazing on those songs. Like he is probably, I don't know, he might be one of the best replacement vocalists I've ever seen. I've seen a, a lot of them, but he's up there, man. He delivers, and, you know, he doesn't sound exactly like Lou Graham, but he's got the power, and he's got the soul and the, the heart 
Like he yeah. actually cares about these songs. Right. And he just he just kills it. I know he used to be in Hurricane back in the day and but like you know, the only the only thing I would nitpick about the show is that his between song banner is really cheesy. But man, those songs they just delivered. They could and you know, getting to see Jeff Pilson play bass again was great. You know, Mick Jones has a great guitar tone, playing keyboards also. So Mick Jones was with him, because when I saw him maybe four years ago, that Mick Jones was not with him. Yeah, I heard he doesn't do all the shows. I think he's pretty been pretty consistent on this tour, at least, because if he wasn't going to be there, they'd have, like, no original members. When I saw but, them, there were no original members, and I saw them in a place in New Jersey called Morristown, where I used to live when I was a kid for a while. And um, I have to tell you that out there, I promise you, this was like, you know, uh, the, the, they call it the, it's one of these theaters that gets like government grants and all yeah. this stuff. And, and out in the deep, deep suburbs of New York, like, you know, 40, 50 miles from the city. And yeah. they, I guarantee that that crowd, a good majority of them probably had no idea that there were no original members. Probably not. Yeah, yeah, they they didn't, and I, I agree with you on what's his name, Kelly. The singer? Kelly Hansen. Yeah. He, I, I was blown away when I saw them. And this was going back four or five years ago at this point, but mm. I was blown away when I when I saw them play at how excellent they they sounded, and that's what I wanted from Queen when I when I saw them. But I didn't get that. I didn't get yeah. somebody sounding like Freddie. Um, but even though there were no original members, they 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 killed it. They killed it. Yeah. You know, I saw the Four Tops too, a great Motown band, yeah, back in probably the late '90s with no original members, and yeah. and that also those guys killed it. They they were so on and so perfect. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I just if you're gonna if you're gonna pull this shit where there's you know no original members or. I don't like the no original member thing. It bothers me morally. But if there's yeah. one original member, you, you you need to at least or two original members, and and you don't have that original singer. You need a guy who sounds like the singer. I, yeah. You just you just do. Yeah, and he didn't have to look like Lou Graham or have his mannerisms. He just sang the songs, and it's crazy. He's been singing for Foreigner for over ten years now, and I distinctly remember we have this like resort hotel near where i live right and they get a, they get a lot of nostalgiacs playing their bar out there and it's a small bar and they were playing that place 10 years ago and to see them build this brand back up with kelly and getting respect and rightfully so honestly and playing a, an outdoor shed in the summer now to a very big crowd i mean this was a pretty decent crowd and the, i i thought stuff that was so cool i was like if yeah. you work hard enough your band can actually mean something again right and you know that's that's really interesting but finish what you're saying because i want to expand on that yeah but i mean the only other thing i was going to say is that i have a new appreciation for cold as ice a song i've heard a billion times oh, on the radio so good yeah. and listening to it live i got a new appreciation for it and i'm such an arrangement nerd that i was like that song is really intricate and the the chords are excellent i mean it's just a nice original composition like really listen to that song on the headphones again just to kind of hear it new you're going to really enjoy that song i think it's just a great song anyway so yeah ahead, Mark. i mean foreigner is a band i never owned any records by but when i saw them in in concert again no original members at that <laughs> time but it was just like one song after another i mean from dirty white boy to you know ur urgent right to yeah. um uh 
in jukebox hero to head games head waiting games. for a girl like oh, you it was just blue morning blue day yeah it was just so oh yeah that's fucking awesome it was just song, song after song that's one of their best i mean it was and it was just it was so freaking great um yeah. but what you were saying about building the brand back up it just made me think of this uh this incident that happened to me uh Recently, when I was down at the M3 Festival with Kix, who headlined the first night, and you mm. think, Kix headlining the first night, really? Yes, really. And, and their, their promoter, um, I, I spoke with him backstage, and I wish I would have had a mic rolling, because he told my wife and I this story about how he got that band and, and told them, I want to promote you and I want to build you back up. And I want, and I will build you back up because they were playing clubs to like forty people, and he slowly worked that brand and he built back up the Kicks brand to the point where maybe almost as big as it was when they were at their peak. Maybe that might be a slight exaggeration, but but he built them back up and and you know had them playing in Hollywood to, to sold out shows and you know packed houses throughout the country to this M three performance where there had to be. 10 to ten to 12,000 people there watching him that, that night at M3. That's awesome. And, yeah. and it, it is, it, it is uh, interesting that you can take a band like a Foreign or, or a Kicks, who most people are think are past their prime and, and have, you know, if you had a graph of their financial success, it would probably be going downwards. But then you can bring them back up at least somewhat from maybe not to where they were when you know they were rulers of the world but you can definitely build that brand back up and it takes hard work and it takes people believing in you again you know so that's it, interesting for you to say that about four yeah yeah i still like being surprised this is why i never get totally jaded and i appreciate bands for doing that to me because it's just a lot of fun you know that never stop going to shows and Occasionally, you will get surprised. Right. Yeah. I'm, I saw the uh, the Scorpions at Madison Square Garden less than oh, yeah. a week ago, and Megadeth opened. And I, I tell you, this this was such a great night. I had so much fun. It was their first time at Madison Square Garden since 1984, when they had a little band named Bon Jovi opening for them. You nice. know, and and it was just so much fun. I, the guys looked great. Uh, Rudolf Schenker just. You know, not running quite as fast as he used to across the stage. However, it's pretty amazing. Like his his arms were still like all pumped and, and yeah, he's yeah, in ridiculous I, shape for that. I don't know if he's on that like you know that old man steroid stuff. You ever see that? <laughs> I have a feeling he must be on that or something. Because yeah, you ever see that Without, stuff like on TV and like late night infomercials for that stuff? Yeah, I heard about. Actually, I saw when we were at the expo. I saw an ad for it in the hotel. Actually, yeah, because <laughs> they you know get live TV in the hotel. But I'm going to ask you about the Scorpions. Yeah, uh, when was the first time you saw the Scorpions? Because it's going to lead into another question I have for you. I- I'm embarrassed to say this, but I the, I only saw the Scorpions once before, and okay. it was on the Monsters of Rock tour uh, with the, you know the real famous one. Yeah, I think I want to say '88. It was uh, yeah. it was Kingdom Come. Yes. Metallica, mm-hmm. Dokken, mm-hmm. followed by the Scorpions, followed by Van Halen, um, yeah. with with Hagar, that was one of his yeah. early 
tours with with uh, huh. when he was a few years in at that point but oh you ate one too yeah yeah I, I so that's the only time i saw the scorpions it was in philadelphia okay. at, at jfk stadium which has since been torn down but um they, they were great that night but i i think i may have even enjoyed it more you know recently here at madison square garden and I, i'm embarrassed to say that i've only seen them twice in my entire life because i've always been not I'm, scorpions aren't like Maiden or Motley Crue or Kiss or Sabbath for me, but they're close. You know, I've always really liked the Scorpions a lot. I'm not a Scorpions expert by any means, but they're one of those bands that I would put them, you know, top top thirty for sure for me. You know, maybe top twenty. I'm not even sure, but yeah. great it sounds band. Like we're, yeah, it sounds like we're in the same you know field of expertise of the Scorpions. This is gonna. Um, I'm gonna go see that same show next month. It's gonna be my fifth time seeing him, I believe. Oh wow! And I, the last time I saw him was about six years ago at this Oklahoma like Hard Rock Weekend called Rock in America, and it was the only time they did it, so they must have lost money. But it was great. The bill was amazing, and the Scorps headlined. I think the second night, and I had seen him, you know, three or four times before this. I've never seen them that good than on that Sting in the Tail tour. Right. And I got, I remember I bought the, uh, the 3d Blu-ray. They have a 3d concert. If no one knows that it's a, it's an amazing show. So that, and like, you know, Kodak's playing on this like 25 foot drum riser the whole time. And I know Mickey D's drumming for him now. So I'm very curious to see that dynamic. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's great. He, he definitely, if anything, he almost is a little too prominent on the stage. I mean, they really give him a lot of props. I, I think they, they lean into his history. They do a little Lemmy tribute, spoiler alert. But, um, Ooh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, sorry, I won't say anymore. But <laughs> it, right, it's great. Right. You know, and, and the, as far as the set list goes, without getting too deep into it, you know, he, they, they if, if I were picking the set list for the Scorpions, it would probably be deeper it'd probably have like you know they didn't play china white they didn't play Ooh, love I drive love song. yeah i would have loved to hear them play those songs however the songs they chose for the the casual fan and the fans who were in the room you know i never liked wind of change i never liked when that when yeah. i was a kid however when they played it last saturday night at madison square garden i almost had tears running down my face it was so good and the sing-along the whole arena packed to the gills just singing that song it was so awesome and such an emotional emotional uh, moment there that yeah. that you know it, again it wasn't the super deep cuts however they did do like a yuli john roth melody which oh, they nice. played like half a top of the bill which was awesome so they threw some stuff in there, you know, but it was just a, a, a really enjoyable, fun night. I was in a great mood. I was happy. I, I, I got what I paid for and uh, really, really fun time. You know, I, I look forward to hearing your opinions on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Did, um, yeah, stuff about the Kotak thing, they did like a whole obscure Scorpions medley on the last tour when he did his drum solo of all things. So if you get the video, you can see this. They just go into different parts of different albums, and he's just playing along on drums. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. So when you mentioned the Uli John Roth medley, that's the first thing I thought of. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see him. Like, they're just surgeons in there, man. They're so good. They're so entertaining. And you were talking about Winds of Change. And I've never been a big fan of that either. It was just so overplayed when it was out. 
But yeah, I think the last time I saw them, they did a thing where they stopped down and had the crowd sing it. Right. And that might be what you're referring to. Just that is a great moment. And another band that it's almost like you don't want to say this about a band that you like a lot because it almost makes them sound wimpy or something. But they have some of the best ballads that any rock band has ever written. Like even if you dig deep on some of their ballads that weren't huge hits, like Under the Same Sun, great song. Most people don't know that. They had one on the last album called uh, The Best Is Yet to Come, or the second to last album. Right. That thing is epic. I mean, like when they write a ballad, man, they don't mess around. They are so good at it. And they don't get the recognition for that, I don't think. Yeah, no, great band and definitely worth seeing if they're coming through your town. Uh, who, so you saw, we, we spoke Foreigner. Now you who else, yeah. you mentioned Cheap Trick? Well, yeah, they, they play at the Foreigner thing. And, and you know, I don't, uh, Cheap Trick doesn't need me to put them over that much. They're always consistent. They're just great on stage. They, lately, not a lot of surprises in the set list, but I see them at least maybe once at least every year. So. Wow. They don't change it to the set list a whole lot, but they do it a lot more now that Dax is in the band versus Bunny. And that's one thing I do appreciate about Dax is they'll go a little bit deeper with him because he's willing to play more songs like Borderline and stuff like that that they they just now started playing again for the first time in years. But I I wanted to talk about the most recent show I went to, which was Sammy Hagar in the Circle. Okay, no, this is Michael Anthony and Jason Bonham. Yeah, Michael Anthony, Jason Bottom, and Vic Johnson on lead guitar, okay. who's been uh, Sammy's guitar player for like at least 20 years now. And he's great. He used to play in the Bus Boys, I found out, which made me excited. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, you remember them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember them on SNL. So, and, they, they, uh, Eddie Murphy was. They did, did they do the. They were in one of those Eddie Murphy movies, I believe. Yeah, they were in 48 Hours, and they played hours. SNL when he hosted. Right. And they, they, were, they used to open for him when he was like at his peak as a comedian, too, by the way. So, wow. the, yeah, yeah, like I actually saw the circle earlier this year. So weirdly enough, third time I've seen Jason Bonham this year, almost out of coincidence, because he opened up the Cheap Trick Foreigner show as well with his Jason Bonham Led Zeppelin experience. So a big Jason Bonham year for me. <laughs> but nice. yeah, and any excuse to see Michael Anthony sing on stage and not that he's ever the lead singer, but just to hear those harmonies, man, there is nothing better than a Michael Anthony background vocal harmony. It's the best. Right. So but what did the circle Mike, do? Like, what set list wise are they doing? Are they doing originals or covers? Or I know they do some Led Zeppelin stuff, right? Yeah, they do. Uh, the the peak of the gig is always when they do "When the Levee Breaks." Getting to watch Jason Bonham play "When the Levee Breaks," and Sammy nails the vocal on that too. By the way, I gotta say, I gotta give it up for Sammy there. And they even put the dry ice up. I mean, it's a great moment. And, who, and, and what is that, that that guitar? Is that like a sitar? What is that? Is a lap steel guitar on that song? Going through uh, like well, a Marshall? How do they how do they handle that? When they do it, Vic Johnson actually plays a double neck Gibson SG, just like Jimmy Page. And he just does a slide with it. So there so might I be an extra. I think that's like a lap steel or something in the original. But I might be Oh, wrong. nice. Very cool. And, uh, yeah, they do good times, bad times. Like, they, they don't go so obvious, which I like. Except, you know, towards the end of the show, they do rock and roll, which is always a big crowd pleaser. But it, it's more of a history of Sammy. It's like, you know, we're going to do Rock Candy by Montrose. We're going to play Hagar solo. We're going to play Van Hagar. And, and so it's like a history of Sammy night, really, is what right. it is. But Do they the do thing any wanted... Roth era Van Halen? You know, no, with Michael Anthony, no. they, they could, right? I mean, Michael That Anthony's would be like, nice because the highlight of the 04 reunion with Hagar was when Michael Anthony sang Somebody Get Me a Doctor. That was so cool. And I wish they would do something like that, but, you know, they didn't. Uh, yeah, speaking of Van Halen, I'm glad you brought that up. 
you know, I'm sure people that pay attention to online rock news, like see that Sammy Hagar has been basically campaigning, almost trolling to get his gig back in Van Halen. And, you know, even lately now he's starting to pull back saying, oh, you know, it's not a big deal, but it seems like this whole year it's been the biggest deal to him that he gets back in Van Halen for one more run. Right. And, uh- yeah, go ahead, finish. Sorry. No, what do, what do you think? No, what do you think of that? I'm curious. Yeah, to see I, I, it, that. it's it was a head scratcher uh, too um, <laughs> for me because I was like, wow, I wonder if that means that he's that he's got wind that he's not going to be involved in whatever the next step is for for Eddie and Alex. That was my initial thought. I would love to hear what somebody like an insider like Greg Renoff, uh, who we hung out with at the Rock and Pod Expo, and is the Van Halen historian expert who's written books like what was his book? Uh, Van Halen Rising. Van Halen Rising. Yeah, yeah. This, I bought that book at the expo. Nice guy. Yeah, I'm reading the other one right now, the the new one, uh, Noel Monk's book, um, which is off to a good start. I'll keep you posted on that. But anyways, uh, that was a head scratcher, definitely. That the fact that he said that led me to believe that he could potentially have gotten word that, you know, because there was this whole thing, oh, yeah, maybe it's a it's a celebration of the history of Van Halen with both Sammy and Dave. And yeah. it, it led me to believe that maybe he's gotten word that that's not the case, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and at the show, at the show, he, man, <laughs> just before he went into right now, uh, you know, and if you've seen Sammy live even once, you know this. If you throw something on stage, he will get distracted by it. He will put it on if it's a shirt. He will wear it if it's a flag. And somebody threw a Van Halen T-shirt on stage at him, and right. he put on the shirt. And he said, "Right about now, it's time for me to be in Van Halen or something to that effect." And everybody was like, "You know," and then. They did that. He wore the Van Halen t-shirt for like two songs, took it off. And then when they went into his Van Halen breakup song, Little White Lie, he goes into this whole blues improv jam at the beginning of it, to which he refers to Eddie as the devil and his brother. So massive contradiction just between about two or three song separation in that concert. It just made me go, huh, what is going on here, man? Yeah. Huh. That, that, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I do think like something. There has been some behind the scenes development with with Van Halen. Um, you know, it, when you look at that final show at the Hollywood Bowl uh, that they did with Roth back uh, a number of years ago, it Roth's speech that he gives on stage almost makes it sound like it's it's the end. Hmm. Um, and I know that that tour didn't sell quite as well, you know, as, as when they first came back in 2007, 2008, where they were just selling out everywhere. Yeah. You know, I think there wasn't quite the interest when they came back around and whatever that was. I mean, what was that? When, when did they do their final tour? 2012? Or? It, I think it was only about three years ago because yeah, they were yeah. promoting that live album, which I think the reason that the tour didn't do so well is because the live album was so marred. I mean, right. in controversy. I mean, it was, it was a questionable release in that sense. I mean, you've heard it. I, I love Van Halen, and I can still listen to that thing, but it got, a, I mean, bad word from the word go, and I think it hurt the return on the tour, honestly. Right. Which is a shame because they really made an effort to have a different set list. And, you know, they were going real deep on this one, man. So but, how many tours did they do with Roth? Three. 
They did three. Yeah, which is, okay, so they started in late 2007. Yeah. It was definitely late into 2008. That was the first tour. Then they came back around a few years, a couple years later, and then back around again. And and I feel like no matter how big you are, sometimes you just gotta you gotta disappear for a while and and wait for people to want to see you again. You know, for me, I'm ready to see Van Halen again. I saw him on the first tour, but then I didn't go to any of the other tours. And I'm a big Van Halen fan. You know, but if they came around now, I'd, I'd, I'd be ready to to see him again uh, however the real... I, I hope roth's Go voice is good you know i don't know i feel like yeah. his, that could have hurt things too yeah i mean he doesn't he's never had the best live singing reputation yeah, but when so they got i, I don't know together what together in 2007 he was he was sounding much better he was sounding yeah. really good on that tour and then i feel like it went downhill from there yeah i you know to me and and since we're on this subject to me, one of the great tragedies of the last 10 years is, you know, and I know nobody buys records anymore, like, you know, as a majority, but I really had high hopes that the Roth reunion album was going to set the world on fire and it would almost be a comeback for just rock and roll in general and even album sales. And I think it's sold about a million physical or, or close to it maybe. But, you know, I was I was hoping for millions. I know I'm probably just fantasizing here, but right. that album is so strong. Tattoo aside, releasing a bad first single was a bad move also. People compared it to the Jump release. I'm like, Jump is galaxies away better of a song than Tattoo. The rest of that album smokes. I still skip to the second track every time. But I don't think people just realize how good that album is. And I think that they may be a little heartbroken about it as well. Like, just with what's the next move. I think they're second guessing everything. Like maybe that's causing them not to put a new record out. I mean, the only thing I've heard buzz wise is a 40th anniversary tour because of the first album being up to 40 years now. And then the other buzz is getting Michael back, but I don't hear anything about a new album, at least as far as the rumors go, which is sad. Right. Yeah. You know, it'd be, I don't know. It'd be nice for them to bring Ted Templeton back and do something with him, even if they had like a, I know Ted, Ted's like eighty years old, but just to have his name on the record, have some <laughs> associate guys, producer, yeah, like yeah. like, just bring back that magic, you know. Um, and I think they got really close. I think they came so close on that that new album. It it, it sounds yeah, like a continuation it, of nineteen eighty four. It, it really, really does. it really does. I will say too, um, and this is maybe superficial, silly stuff, but. I, I I didn't like Dave's, the you know it was a great show. I really enjoyed seeing them when I saw them at Madison Square Garden. I think it was late two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Dave's uh, look, and again, this is a little superficial, but the the whole I, I just wish, listen, get a good weave, get that long blonde <laughs> hair back. Yeah. I mean, you know, the short that, hair that, combed to the side and the tap yeah. dancing and stuff. Yeah, uh, it's a I, bit much for some people. I, 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 I understand what you're saying. I think after he took it so far in 2002, right. you know, with that real bad one, like it just bleach blonde white hair. Right. The was that when he did that like techno record type of thing with all the covers? Remember that? Yeah. It yeah, it was around that yeah. time. And yeah. like his look just became so extreme. I don't think he's ever going back to that. <laughs> I know you're just, you know, hype, you know, doing hypothetical here, but I just yeah, I embrace the rock. Yeah, he needs to dial back on the Vegas a little bit. And I, yeah. I love I love all eras of Roth. 
I'm one of the only fans of your filthy little mouth. I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. When he's in Van Halen, he needs to, he does need to embrace the rock. You're absolutely right. I mean, he's in, for, for an elderly guy. I mean, he's in, he's in good shape. I mean, Rudolph Shanker the other night at the Scorps, you know, he came out in the, the skinny jeans and the, the same little tight t-shirt that he used to wear, the spiky hair. I mean, he, he was great. You know, he had the glasses yeah. on. I, I don't know if he's had work done on his face or whatever, but the, the, if he didn't, the glasses helped. You know, he, he, he still maintained that, like, great rocker look. That's, that's a guy who's 69 years old. Yeah. And I know, you know, it's... it's maybe he'll be back to the... Maybe he'll start wearing uh, the denim outfit with the no hair like he did when he jumped up on stage at the Forum with the Foo Fighters that last year. Oh, if you raw. didn't see that footage yet, raw? he had no hair. Raw? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did see that footage, yeah. Yeah. The full tattoo, you know, the yeah. whole back and front. So, like, right. new look there, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that, that's more rock and roll, at least, than, yeah. you know, overalls and, uh, you know, a fisherman's cap. <laughs> yeah, so. no, I agree. I agree, definitely. But, yeah, I, I'm always anxious to, to hear what, what Eddie's next move is, and uh, I, I hope we hear something soon. It feels like it's been... It's been quiet for a long time on the Van Halen. They're the most secretive public, like they're as far as like the most popular bands of all time. They're easily still the most enigmatic. And I asked Greg Rinoff about that at the expo, and he says that Alex is probably the guy that is kind of steering that part of it because he's still really into the whole early Led Zeppelin mystique and everything. Right. I mean, Page is still like that. Jimmy Page is still like that. Yeah. Yeah, and they're the, you know they're big Zeppelin guys, and especially Alex. I think that they, from day one, they embraced that. Like when we leave, we disappear off the face of the planet, and, and it's, it's it, frustrating as a fan because we want everything. We want all the outtakes and box sets and videos and stuff, but they just disappear. Like Roth has disappeared. Like right. he did that one private party last week, but we oh, haven't yeah. heard from him besides Is that, that Mario Lopez or something. I think so, yeah, and that was fun to watch because the footage was good, and you know, I I love those solo songs, you know, but right. yeah, they just they're so secretive still to this day. It's like they sign contracts to like not talk about anything. Yeah, ACDC is the same way. I mean, they're very yeah, very quiet. good point. I mean, it's like a an old school mentality, I think, which in yeah. today's times, there's something to be said about that because it, yeah. it 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 you know when Axel was so out of the public eye for years, people we're going crazy over it and, and just the, there was a frenzy over what's Axel doing what you, you know and they could teach uh, classes on this they could teach classes on how these bands operate like yeah, in the future you know, I mean in, the, in a social media age yeah exactly <laughs> in the age of social media where everything's so overexposure YouTube you know TMZ all this stuff the fact that you get certain guys that are still just can disappear off the grid and never say a word there's something kind of exciting about that i mean really you know exciting yet frustrating yeah and frustrating <laughs> yeah just because it, it's the golden rule of showbiz you want to leave people wanting more and yeah. you know. it's like we were saying about them wanting you you want van halen to tour again now right and that's that's one commandment that roth always says we never want to be the band where someone goes weren't you just here yeah exactly
Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and you are listening to the Talking Rock podcast, which is the kind of, I call it the sister podcast to Talking Metal. And big news, we're currently going to, we're currently working on a site that's going to be called TalkingRock.net. So stay tuned for that, guys, and I'll uh, let you know as soon as it's up. You can like Talking Rock on Facebook, and you can like Talking Metal on Facebook. You can friend me on Facebook. And co-hosting this show, the Talking Rock show, is Joey Haney from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Joey, how are you? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you bet. You bet. We're, we're doing a, a Saturday morning podcast, which is... Uh, time that i usually don't do podcasting but i like it i feel like um we're fresh into the day here and uh, i'm i'm ready to talk some rock with you joey what's been going on on the rock strikes 10 podcast uh just you know recently the latest episode was our annual halloween spectacular which i struggle to find halloween based and you know spooky related songs that i haven't played yet it right it gets harder every year but Thankfully, a few things came along to where I was like, okay, cool. Like, uh, if you haven't heard Trip Reznor and Atticus Ross's cover of John Carpenter's Halloween theme, definitely worth it. So that was definitely a highlight of the show this cool. year. Yeah, I see the episode in my queue here, but I have not listened to it. So I, I definitely need to to check that out. What what else? Give us one of the other 10 songs you play. One of the other 10 songs I play is actually Lordy's cover of Alice Cooper's He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. Oh, wow. Interesting. Very cool. Lordy, of course, a band that were managed by Bill O'Coin for a while, the Kiss manager in uh, in more recent times. He managed them, what, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s? Does that sound right? Yeah, about that. And his, yeah. I think his biggest accomplishment was he got them like, into OzFest in America. So that was like the most potential for them to break right. out in the States, yeah. which sadly... I didn't saw them on, be... that, on, that, on that tour. It was, like, it was like 95 degrees and they played in the middle of the day. <laughs> Yeah, and they they dress. I mean, they dress like orcs, basically. For those of you who don't know who they are, like the orcs from Lord of the Rings, that's basically what they look like, and they always look like that. So it's kind of like one of those things where I remember seeing the Ramones play like in 110 degree weather, still wearing wearing leather jackets. So I definitely respect that kind of commitment for sure. Absolutely, Lordy. They're they're one of these bands that. I always wish I knew more about, but I've never taken the time to really dive into their their catalog. Are you a big fan of theirs or not so much? I, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. I do listen to all the records, and I don't have all the records, so that makes me not as big of a fan, but I definitely am willing to get the records. It's just one of those things like there's not enough money and not enough time to listen to everything. But right. most of the stuff I listen to, I do like, I think at this point, if I had to recommend one record, it would probably be the Rockalypse. I think it's what it's called. That's probably their best album overall that I've heard. Cool. Um, let's switch gears and talk about a perfect circle. Now this is, this is a band that, you know, I don't even know how many times I saw them. Uh, they started, I want to say back in about 2000, 2001, that time. Yeah, no, it had to be because it was 2000. Yeah, yeah, 2000. I had, um, you know, I, I make my main source of income producing promos or commercials for cable television uh, channels. And one of the first commercials, I think it was the actual first commercial I ever did, a promo was for a movie, I believe it was called for Until the End of the World. 
I uh, it, it had it had that U two music in it that we were somehow allowed to use in in the promo for the spot that we did, and I worked on this promo at a place in New York City. I guess it had to be um, it had to be two thousand. I'm thinking. And the place I worked, at, the facility that I worked on this promo out of for the Sci-Fi Channel was called Cliff Schwartz Music. And I worked with an engineer um, who helped mix the spot, helped me record the, the VO artist, and did all the audio work on the spot with me. And her name was Pause, and and she uh. was was working out of Cliff Schwartz music in in new york city on 45th street or 44th street i'm i'm not actually let me think 40 i think it was 40 44th street anyways so she mixed this spot for me and and i remember the after the uh after we were done mixing the spot she said oh i'm going to see my friend adam jones uh from tool he's 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 doing a guest spot. He's with the Melvins tonight, and I, I went down there, um, not really with her, but I, I went down there on my own to to check it out, and and she was down there, and and I got the vibe that maybe there was some romantic thing between the two of them at one point or something. I don't know. That was just speculation on my part. But anyways, pause then. I, I kind of stayed in touch with her because she shortly after that left Cliff Schwartz music and she said she was going, uh, I got an email from her. She said she was going back to LA and she was going to be doing a band with Maynard from Tool. And I remember in the email that she sent me, she said, we're going to call it perfect circle it wasn't called a perfect circle but i remember she said we're going to call it perfect circle and i said wow that's pretty crazy because i was a big tool fan and they were massive already at that at that point yeah. and then you know they came I, I can't remember when i saw them next but i it was either opening for nine inch nails um at madison square garden on the fragile tour or the first time i saw them could have possibly been i was skiing out in 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 north of Vancouver and they played there and then she put me on the guest list and I came down and I saw them play there. So it was one of those two shows that would have been the first time that I, I saw a perfect circle. I'm not, I'd have to go back and research the dates, but yeah, she was, I don't even, I still don't really know exactly how to pronounce her, her last name. Do you, she's with the Pixies now, right? Yeah, Oz. I think so. Cause yeah. they, uh, cause uh, Kim left the band. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, man, it's like, I think it's like Lerman or something like that. Yeah, something to that. I don't know. Or maybe I'm thinking of Baz Lerman. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But something it, with an L. But anyways, yeah, so she yeah. was the original bassist. <laughs> and she. I think she only really played on on that first A Perfect Circle record. She only yeah. played, I think, on a handful of songs. I think Billy handled a lot of the bass on that record. Yeah, Billy Howardale. And then she went yeah. to join Zwan after that. Yeah, so, that's right. She went to join Zwan. She also put out a great solo record um, in there at some point, which was really good, which I, I bought off a of CD Baby. But then they, A Perfect Circle, that first record I thought was great. You know, Judith uh -huh. was just an amazing song. Three Libras was on there, The Hollow. What else? Mm -hmm. What other big songs? Any other ones jump out off that? Thinking of you, right. Brainia. Yeah. That's yeah. that that whole album. That is easily one of the best albums of two thousand, hands down, for yeah. sure. Yeah, uh. and the song Judith, which we'll talk about in a minute, 
was very Tool-esque. And I remember the guys in Tool weren't happy about that song because they felt that out of all the songs in the record, it was the lead single. And to this day remains one of the most popular songs by A Perfect Circle. But it definitely yeah. was the, the closest sounding with its aggression to a Tool song. Would you agree I with didn't, I, Yeah, for sure. It's definitely the most Tool-esque. It was the smart one to go with on radio for sure and make a video for and all that stuff. But I'd never heard that story before, so I was really intrigued by uh, – you mentioned that to me in brief right. in a text this week. And I was like, I need to know more about this because, I mean, it definitely will shed some light on the, the topic at hand concerning Judith here for sure. Yeah, I don't know they, where they I read play. that. I absolutely remember reading that. It was either Danny or, or Adam from Tool kind of moping in the press about that specific song and how they felt that that it was definitely the most Tool-esque sounding song on the record. And they thought it was a poor choice for a single being that it did sound so much like Tool. They weren't happy about A Perfect Circle back in those days. At least that's the vibe a lot of people got. Um, a Perfect Circle went on to do another record. They brought in Jordy White, who said some negative press lately, but uh, they brought yeah. in him uh, to handle bass at yeah. some point. I'm trying to think. Josh Freeze had been there, was came back, I believe, for the second record. Yeah, because Freeze played on half the album with Tim Alexander from Primus, sharing okay. drum duties with him. Uh, James Eha, another Smashing Pumpkins tie-in. He, right. He joined Perfect Circle and still remains in the band to this day. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's it kind of turns into a revolving door a little bit. But, you know, some Troy, consistency. But, Troy from yeah, Troy Failure and, and now on the original Queens, album as yeah, well. Queens of the Stone Age. And I saw them on that tour again. I think that would have been like the third or fourth time. I believe the fourth time I saw them was on uh, that tour, which we're talking about their second record, which was just, uh, I think, just a... Just a crazy good record and any any thoughts on that second a perfect circle record joey yeah for sure i mean actually just just you talking about the whole adam jones controversy with dealing with the first album especially it now seems in retrospect that they went out of their way to make not as much of a tool sounding record right it, it even has like moments like in the middle of the album. Where We're talking about Thirteenth Step, by the way, guys. Yeah. The second record by A Perfect Circle. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it does kind of, in a sense, suffer from that sophomore slump because, it, you know, it's got it's got a big hit off of there that you know still gets played and, and it's one of their more popular songs. But it definitely they definitely dialed back the heavy for sure, and I think that's where some people might not like the second album as much. It just depends on what your your preference is, but. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what it seems like. I don't mind the record, but I, I don't think it's nearly the record that the first one is. But See, I'm the opposite. Like I like bands. that record better. I like I like oh, 13th wow. Step better than than the the first record. Um, again, 13th Step, just looking over things here. It was released 2003, September 2003. So there was a little mm -hmm. bit of stretch there between the first and second record. Um, and again, just I thought it was I thought it was more gothic kind of had yeah. uh and definitely less 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 aggressive less metal if you will um yeah. you know so i i really enjoyed that i thought jordy's bass playing too on that record just just great i mean a, a whole new side of him that we've we've never heard as far as bass playing goes and you know troy uh how do you say his last name van Tr van lewin van lewin yeah. 
he yeah. does does some guitar on it and you know he had been in the the tail end of failure which is a band that mm-hmm. maynard always loved and they covered a failure song on 13th step called mm-hmm. the nurse who loved me which i don't believe troy is actually on the the original version of that song but um <laughs> troy of That's course funny. the guy who said his hand in a lot of different things including queens of the stone age a perfect circle and and failure but anyways what what joey and i now you saw them where joe you saw a perfect circle recently i saw them earlier in the year they because they've been on tour like all year and they played over in my neck of the woods about 10 minutes from my house actually in a city that people outside of texas would know called grand prairie texas it's basically between dallas and fort worth and it's a great theater to go see bands at a uh, good mix in the room and the whole thing and it's like uh, seats less than three thousand people so i was excited initially to go to the show because i'm like i actually regret completely regretted my top 10 regrets of not seeing them in 2000 when they opened for nails. Cause that'd have been a great time to see nails as yeah. well. Oh, that was such a good tour too. Yeah. Wow. And they were playing at one of the smaller coliseums in Fort Worth. So man, I really should have gone on that show. I have no reason or excuse that I can remember why I didn't go. But, uh, that being said, I had never seen perfect circle before. And I had right. a few other chances right. over the years, but I was like, okay, I'm finally going to go see him. And the wife's not a big fan. So I was going stag, which right. is, is interesting nowadays. Yeah, she, we, yeah. we pretty much go predominantly together, but right. she was like, you go have fun. So I was like, okay. And it was going to be after, you know, convenience fees, mob fees, whatever you want to call it. And parking, it wound up being, which is probably pretty good for like, you know, East and West Coast standards. It probably right. cost me about a hundred hundred bucks to go to the show overall. Ticket and included? Ticket included. Right. Yeah. Which is probably awesome if you, you know, for, yeah, <laughs> for most for, people. For nowadays. New York, <laughs> that, that sounds like a bargain. But yeah, I understand for that's probably more than you're used to paying. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those guys and I hate, usually hate those guys that are like, if I'm paying a ticket, I want to hear certain things and blah, blah, blah. But I did actually kind of become that guy that night. And my argument for my defense of that, like, you know, I thought home run slam dunk, I was going to hear Judith and three Libras, which two songs off my the first favorite. record. Yep. Yeah. And they, and most importantly, the two singles released off of the album. <laughs> right. Well, the hollow um, was a single too. So yeah, that was like the last yeah. single put out by. Yeah. And they did play that. Uh, and I, I should maybe I should start in order. So like, uh, the thing that initially turned me on to Perfect Circle, and I will just disclaim right away, I'm not a big Tool fan. I I respect those guys, and it's going to sound very generic, you know, great musicians and blah 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 for sure, legit. But the Perfect Circle stuff spoke to me a lot more than the Tool stuff did, and that might just come from working at record shops around that time because right. Tool fans tend to drive you up the wall if you work in a record store. So it's kind of one of those things where it kind of turned me off to him. But man, the first Perfect Circle record was undeniable to me. Like I said, one of the best albums of that year. So I was excited. And and I was like, okay. We've been talking about it a lot. Let's just let the listeners know that came out in 2000, the first record of Perfect Circle. Joey, I'm terrible with pronunciations, but Mir de Noms. That that's about as close as I heard. Murdenom, Mirdenoms. I've heard it both ways. M E R D E N O M S. A perfect yes. circle. Their first studio record, and yeah. yeah, it was a bold move because Maynard had been known for his work with with Tool, and the fact that they put out this record, which again definitely. A, 
different sound than, than Tool. Um, you know, it, it was, it, I think it upset a lot of Tool fans too, the record. Yeah, exactly. And I used to, it's one of those like sort of, sort of record store antagonistic guy things to do, but I was completely telling the truth. I would just amp it up a little bit, like saying, I like it better than Tool. And I do legitimately. And right, it was right. almost like, I heard people call it Tool for girls and right. it, yep. it had more pop sensibility. And I was like, that's fine. That's what I want. You know, that that's me. So purchasing tickets to the show, I'm like sitting there going, okay, this band has two studio albums of original material, one covers album. It's, it is, you know, it's, it's a home run that I'm going to hear those two particular songs as well, which is a big factor in me going, you know, I'd go to see them for the musicianship and the fact that I've never seen them live, cross them off the bucket list, all that good stuff. So, and the, the, one of the other initial things that drove me to the band was the fact that when I would go see them, when I would see them play on television to promote that first album, I remember seeing them on late, late show and a few other things and Maynard which that's not anything that tool ever did was go on talk shows. First of all, right. Uh, second of, second of all, Maynard completely almost treating it exactly like the way you should treat a side project where it almost has no resemblance to the original band that you come from. Yeah. He is up, up front. He is facing the crowd showing his face, which is something he never does. That's like the whole bit on tool is that he doesn't show his face and he has his back to the crowd and all that kind of stuff. So we could do a whole show on whether that's, you know, disrespectful to, to the audience or not. But, right. you know, it's like, you know, I get it. It's an artsy thing. And he's a tortured soul. And he wears but, a wig so, in, in a perfect yeah. circle. He kind of even changes his look. You know, in Tool, he's generally this bald guy, at least for the last, you know, yeah. 10 to 15 years. He's been this bald guy fronting Tool. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like he, wears, he, wears he comes like a, out with a wig and, and kind of mm-hmm. rocks it out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And... What I got out of this this tour, and you know, it was one of those things. Maybe I'm just guilty of being ignorant to how they perform live. But I was like, oh, he's going to be right out front there, and blah blah blah. And I get there, and oh, it's going to be the same thing that he normally does, where you don't really see him at all, uh, just like the lyric and three libras. And you know, he's they have like these three pillars. I don't know if it's just the way it was like the other night at Barclays, but they have those three pillars that are like different height, and they're like little circle yes. things that three different members stand in the drummers, the heightened right. one yeah. Maynard's in the center and James yep. E. Haas on the left. Exactly. And Billy and man, I wish I could remember that guy's name. The guy that played bass actually had been playing for Eagles of death metal. Yeah, uh, Matt, lately. Matt, yeah. um, McJurgan or something. McJurgan's Matt McJurgan's. Yeah. He actually yeah. opened the show too, um, with his, oh. with his band, the beta machines. And then he did double duty and played oh. with, uh, with tool. The drummer, the same thing, also played with the beta machines. Jeff Freedy, Freedy, I think is the, the the drummer. But yeah, Matt, their current bassist, um, you know, f- taking yeah. over for Paz and then Jordy White is, yeah, uh, yeah this, the also, besides the beta machines, in Eagles of Death Metal and was with Eagles of Death Metal when the tragedy happened overseas yeah. in, in, yeah. in Paris. So, but anyways, go on. No, yeah. So, you know, they're up there playing. And I, I really love the way the show started out. They have the curtain in front and they're doing that thing where it's the, the you know, the shadows and everything. And they're playing with the shadows and the, the lights move to where it heightens the shadows and makes them smaller, makes them taller and shorter and all that cool stuff. I really like the build to the show. And then when they dropped the curtain, it was just like, okay, now the visuals are over for the night. <laughs> like you just, it's just all dark. The only ones you can really see are uh, Billy Howardale and um, and Matt up front there, 
And I was just, and then I had to like, kind of like readjust like, okay, this is what we're going to get. We're not going to see anything. All right. I'm just going to try to sit back and enjoy the music. And for the most part I did, but I was just blown away by the fact that in the set list, it did not include Judith or three Libras, which to me, three Libras is one of the most perfect songs ever. Right. It's just, it's, it's beautiful and heavy at the same time. It's Mm -hmm. uh, you, you and would, two of their uh, biggest would, songs, two of the man's yeah. biggest songs. You know, Maynard called this uh, tour at one point from the stage when I saw them in Brooklyn, New York on November 2nd at the Barclay Center. He said that uh, this is, a, this is a, a tour to just let you know we're still around and, you know, we're still here. I think you, I, or we're, still, we're still here or still around tour, he called it from the stage. And, yeah, it, it made me wonder because I started going through the set list – Looking because I love the song Judith, even though I do prefer Thirteenth Step over the the first record. I do love the song Judith. Let's I guess dissect the song Judith. I I started going through my mind like why wouldn't they play it? Okay, well there's way back there's this thing that I vaguely remember seeing in the press that I mentioned earlier, where either Adam Jones or Danny or both of them from Tool were complaining about that song being the lead single for this the debut single for this band back in the year 2000 because it was the most tool-esque so there's that maybe he wouldn't want to play it because of that but that doesn't really sure. make sense because he continued to play it i mean i was looking at setlist.fm and it seems like they they at least were playing that you know when they would get back together like i think they did a number of shows back in 2010 and they did play this in in more recent times it has been a number of years but but they did play it maybe not within the past you know seven or eight years but whenever they did that last tour i think they did play it at least at most of the shows i'd have to double check that yeah, um, I figured it probably was a staple of the 13th Step Tour as well. So Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's going way back to 2003 or 2004 for that tour. Yep. But yeah, absolutely. I saw that tour at Irving Plaza, and they absolutely played it then. I didn't expect to hear, you know, some of the fun things like, you know, you you since you've seen them multiple times, you've probably seen their mashup version of Cure's Love Song and Ozzy's Diary of a Madman put together. Right. And I, I've heard that in bootlegs, and it's just... That's so freaking cool. And maybe their cover of Ashes to Ashes by Bowie. I didn't expect to hear those things. Um, yeah, but that, that just kills me, especially through Libras. Like I said, I, I could have I could have done without Judith, but I, I love the song. But that being said, and everything that's been said about it, if right. they hadn't played it, I'd been like, huh. But I've been like, okay, at least I still got three Libras. It's like but, the equivalent of any, just the band on the surface. You know, let's right. forget Tool and all that other stuff. This is a band that has like basically three songs that have hit radio real hard that are really popular. So think of any other bands that have like two or three songs that everybody would know. Like, you know, you can think of about eighties bands like the outfield or Wang Chung or something like that. Right. Like if you didn't hear those songs, you'd have been like, it's like, if you go wow. to see Warren, you want to hear cherry pie, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's but, not like the stones, like stones for getting to play like satisfaction. You kind of forgive it. Cause like they have all these other songs, you right. know? So, it's just it just rubbed me the wrong way, and I'm 
Um, so it's my one of my disappointments of the year for sure. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I they needed to play that song, but let's circle back and just try to speculate maybe why they didn't play it. Uh, okay. So it, it, okay, so the tool complained about it, you know, 17 years ago. Highly <laughs> doubtful that that's not why they're they're playing it. I don't know. My other theories are that you know the the song is very personable personal song it's about i guess his mother was like in a wheelchair and this song is about but she remained to be this devout christian woman and this his mother's name was judith and okay so i don't know i i mean i don't know if that plays into it I don't know that maybe it's it's too person it's a, a very personal song and I do believe yeah. his his mother has has passed I so who knows if there's something yeah. there um, all, all the know, more we, reason to not release it as a single if it's that right on the nose for you 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 know you potentially have to play that every show you ever play I mean I remember like the focus. hearing Coldplay didn't stop playing. What was that one song? Green Eyes or something when he, when Chris was married to Gwyneth Paltrow because he didn't want to offend her or something like that because it wasn't about the song was about a different girl, <laughs> his previous girlfriend or something. Uh-huh. So I, which to me is just freaking crazy because as as Bono said when I recently saw you too, these songs become more the audience songs than the band songs. I mean, really, like they, yes. they, you know they 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 become songs that are person a personal a personal song to us because we relate to them very differently than maybe they were intended or or how they were written or what the writers were thinking about when they read wrote them so i guarantee you're not the only one and i'm not the only one who wanted to hear judith on this recent tour by a perfect circle my third idea about as to why judith maybe is not in the set is is this I do remember at some point within the last five to, to six years reading something from Maynard where he t- spoke about his voice not quite having the power that it used to have. And I mean, I thought he sounded great at, at Barclays Center. I, I really, really enjoyed the show. I had a great time. The band sounded just fantastic. Maynard's voice, I didn't really hear any issues with it at all. Yeah. However... That song, as far as a Perfect Circle s- songs go, is quite aggressive vocally, um, and lots of screaming and shouting and high notes. Yep. So that's my third idea as to why that song may not have been performed. That vocally, maybe it's too much of a struggle for him. And the fourth random thought is. As you said, you know this this band is more feminine. It has a, there are softer sides to it. There's definitely way more females in the audience at a Perfect Circle show than there is at a Tool show, and maybe mm-hmm. he just feels like that song is out of place. I don't know, but I, I'd love to know the real reason as to why they're not playing what possibly is if one of their biggest songs, if not their biggest song. Yeah, if you go like on iTunes, I think, I think the Hollow is the most downloaded song with Judith okay. and Three Libras right behind it because I, I wanted to kind of check on that kind of stuff. But so it's it's top three as far as like this day and age. Uh, I I think my answer, my theory, might be a little more on the nose, but I think it's probably closer to the truth. 
Okay. Is that I, I think Maynard's probably one of the ultimate trolls out there. Like, I think he absolutely 100% trolls his fan base to no end just to see how far he can push the envelope. He's almost like an Andy Kaufman type. Right. Uh, and I think a lot, a lot of it's like, well, I'm just sick of the song. Maybe I just don't want to play it. I'll, we'll go out there. We'll still draw. We'll still make money. And that's just the way it is. And I, I'm not saying he's completely heartless, but I think his overall fan base, I think he completely takes him to the point of insanity because uh, there's a lot of obsessive fans to this guy and to Tool and all the extended things that he does. And this is a guy who does everything but Tool over the last right. 12 wine years. Company, like, Lucifer, yeah. Exactly. Like, and his he, book, he's doing which every- I have here, which I have not started reading yet, <laughs> A Perfect Union of Contrary Things, his autobiography. Yeah. Look forward to reading this soon. I'm looking at it. Yeah, and, and those things will all do well to it to a certain extent and you know get the diehards and everything like that and i i almost started to use the word i was actually talking to a few people in the crowd before the perfect circle show i was trying to do some man on the street stuff that i wound up not using but you know i was like right some people refer to themselves as maynard apologists that's a quote wow and so putting him on the level of a deity and yeah this is like i just think that he is playing the crowd like a fiddle. And I, you know, like I said, if, if, if it was about the, you know, it's, it's about the money and it's not about the money because if it was about the money, he'd be doing tool every other year, but he's not, he just keeps them waiting on a vine and they're all frustrated and they're all angry about it. A lot of them are. So I just think that he's just one of those guys that just is a lifelong antagonist. And I think that's another reason why he does those kind of things, like taking a, a band out with two original albums of material and not playing two out of the three of their biggest hits ever. Right. So I, I think that's a lot of it, honestly. I mean, for a guy that's like a big fan of a band like the Melvins, who is, you know, they are the Andy Kaufman's of alternative rock. You know, I think that he took a lot out of their playbook, but, you know, kind of doing it his own, his own way. So yeah, all of his other side projects, all of his vanity projects, these are the things that he appears to focus on and everything, but the thing that brought him to the dance. Right. Which is tool. Of course, yeah. uh, looking at Spotify, which I don't know how they calculate what, you know, is, is the most popular or streamed songs of all time. I'm guessing it's something like where they're, they're calculating the current, popular songs because i'll give you the top five of perfect circle songs on spotify right now number one the doomed which is the only i I believe it's the only officially released song now they played i they've been playing i believe three new songs in the set list on this this recent tour that's currently going on um feathers is one of them. I'm not sure what the third one is. The the Doomed. Anyway, so that's up on Spotify. I think it's a great song. It's off the new record. It's, the, I believe, the only officially released song that is uh, is out there by A Perfect Circle, released a couple weeks ago, and will be included on the new record, which comes out in early 2018, according to, to Maynard James Keenan um, when he was speaking from the stage at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, last week. The second most streamed song on Spotify is Judith. So there, mm-hmm. you, there you go. Yeah. Again, I don't know how this is calculated. Uh, or the you second, I should say the second, it's actually the most streamed song. Because I'm looking at the numbers, but I guess mm-hmm. it's the current, it's currently 
the the second most popular song after the Doom. Sure. But it has it has twenty two million streams on Spotify. <laughs> the Doomed has just under two million. Um, it's been that, out about it, two weeks, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Outsider is coming in at number three on Spotify. That's off of uh, the second record, a great, great song, which they they played towards the end of the set. Um, and that's at 16 million uh, streams on Spotify. Now, this is interesting. The number fourth streamed song is Passive. Now, you know this song, Joey? Offhand, I do not. Okay, Passive is an interesting song by A Perfect Circle because it was off that third record, which was primarily covers. uh, Oh, yeah, that was all covers. Yeah, Yeah. I think, well, except this one, which was kind of a cover and kind of not. Passive was a a song that Trent Reznor was very upset, from what I remember. Maybe not very upset, but somewhat annoyed, from what I remember, that A Perfect Circle released this song because this came from the legendary... Uh, tapeworm project. Yeah. Passive was mm-hmm. the, from the tapeworm project, was which was a, a Trent Reznor studio thing that was going on that included numerous different people from Phil Anselmo to to James Maynard, James Keenan to others, which I, I'd have to Google it to pull up. But Passive was one of those songs at one time. Back in the Napster days, I believe, and it's probably up on YouTube now, who knows, but I believe there was a version of the uh, uh, unmixed version of the Trent Reznor, Maynard James Keenan song, Passive, on Napster. I seem to remember having it. I don't anymore, but uh, that makes sense. That was included on that that third full-length A Perfect Circle record, the covers record. Uh, and that is surprisingly one of the most streamed songs on Spotify, coming in at number four. Pet is the uh, fifth one, huh. and Pet. Did they play Pet? I'm looking. At, they didn't play Pet when I saw them in Brooklyn. Uh, offhand, I, I do not know. It was it was a it was a decently linked set list, but. Um, yeah, I, I I don't recall if they played it or not. I think they yeah. played that the the new song from 360. Uh, yeah, they didn't play passive right. either. So it's it's interesting. Out huh. of the out of the most the five when I saw them in Brooklyn, out of the five most popular songs according to Spotify today, November fourth. Uh, again, seeing them two nights ago in Brooklyn, out of the five most popular songs on Spotify, which are Pet, Passive, The Outsider, Judith, and The Doomed, they only played two of them: the The Doomed and The Outsider. So it's it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It seems like he talked a lot more at the show you went to, like, except yeah. for the occasional thanks or thank you between songs and occasionally. But I think the only thing he said besides that was bet your ass it's Texas at the beginning of the show. And I almost speculated that, that he had a stand in or something and they were just using a Maynard vocal track for the whole show. Really? Since well. you can't see him at all. Just get somebody to stand in for him as a stunt double. So that that would be me, like really uh, going all in and becoming the villain of the internet. But that's that's, yeah, that's I, he did he did speak. James Aia actually spoke for a while about living in Brooklyn. Yeah. He spoke about how the G train was one of the slower subway trains. He went <laughs> so he spoke for a while, like it was 
a good two minute dialogue and he had some music playing behind him from James Aiea talking about his experience of living in Brooklyn. He, <laughs> he did that in Texas too, where he just made it Texas centric. Oh really? Like okay. That. Talking about ZZ top and Stevie Ray Vaughan, the Dallas Cowboys. And so that's a bit that he does. That's awesome though. I love that. Cause I love James. Yeah. And so then like, it, a, like a lounge act. <laughs> Maynard, Maynard definitely said a few things. I, it, I mean, he wasn't overly talkative, but I, there was some little, couple lines he talked about which were kind of obviously political but he didn't really go he didn't name any names but it was something about you know i i I can't even remember but it sounded definitely like it was hinting at you know political divisions and stuff like that and uh there was a few other things he he said he mentioned about the new record coming this this was a, a tour to kind of remind everybody about that they're still still around. So he did say a few things. Um, the other thing before we go that I thought was kind of interesting about the show, which I n- haven't been to a show like this, and I go to a ton of freaking shows. No, no cameras, uh, no cell phones, no nothing. So the the whole crowd, an arena almost filled. Not quite, but almost filled arena in New York City. There wasn't one cell phone out. And I will tell you, I saw one guy get thrown to the ground and dragged out for taking a picture. There were signs on like every third seat on the floor saying, absolutely no cameras. You will be ejected if you use your cell phone. Before they went on, they, there was a, there was a, a a banner on the side of the stage, lighted banner saying no cell phones, no photographs whatsoever. Uh, there was a guy outside the arena with a megaphone saying, if you take any pictures inside, when the band is playing, he said, you will be removed from the arena. I've never seen this. I mean, Guns N' Roses, uh-huh. I remember like back in 2006, they were a little picky on cell phones. And, and I remember them yelling at people and security grabbing a few things. This was in 2006. Recently, Guns N' Roses, it's like, I think you could sit there and record the whole show. They don't care. But back in 2006, like at those first Bumblefoot shows, they seemed kind of uh, picky about it. And that may have been because they weren't real well rehearsed or something. But I've never seen anything like this. And part of me didn't like it because I took my my phone out at one point while A Perfect Circle were, were playing. And I wasn't taking a picture. I was texting my wife um, because she wasn't with me. And I took my phone out to text. And immediately, security came up and were, like, shining their flashlight in my face, like, put it away. And I wasn't even taking a picture. I was texting. So they didn't even want the phone out of your pocket, which in 2017 (laughs) seems a little crazy to me. However, and made me uncomfortable because of my addiction to it. But on the flip side, there was something that made it almost feel more intimate when I looked around and there wasn't one person with a cell phone anywhere. And like I said, I did see one guy literally get thrown to the ground and ejected for, for taking a picture. Uh, and that was only because he was putting up a fight and didn't want to be ejected. Uh, sure. Ejected. So, yeah, but uh, that that's kind of interesting. And, and um, for me, the verdict is kind of still out on how I feel about that. Because like I said, I, I love 
listen, I'm the guy who loves to let people know, hey, look at me, I got good seats, and let everybody know on Facebook that I'm, you know, so cool yeah. that I am at a at a concert. But yeah. um, it, you know, it would be I, nice. It would be nice if we could get to a point where we can all agree as a people, as Lewis Black would say, uh, when the show starts. Basically, we're all low-level photo pit people. Yeah, like take take your pictures on the first song or two, and then start to put them away and enjoy your show. Like yeah. that's, I, I would like it if we could do things like that. I realize there's certain shows where there's maybe some stunts going on, like a Kiss show or Alice show that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. But it'd be nice if we could get to that point where the phone's not up the whole friggin' show. And I dealt with that a lot, especially the last few shows this year. It's just getting more and more ridiculous. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be nice if we could just knock off the selfies and regular photos after one or two songs, put them away, man. Cause I mean, just nowadays, I mean, you see those memes out there online, like here's my show back in my day and it's all lighters and people holding their hands up and, right. and here's nowadays and everybody's holding a freaking phone up with a big bright screen up. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be nice if we could get to that point. I just think we're too far gone to, <laughs> right. it's a nice, it's a nice idea, but at the same time, when you start enforcing those things, it's like, what is this, you know, the, that, uh, ACDC Russia show back in the nineties, you know, like yeah. you gotta get hit you're gonna get hit for taking your phone out i mean that's also a bit extreme so i don't have all the answers for that one but i i will say like like i said part of me desperately wanted to take a picture i had great seats i wanted to you know do my reporting on facebook that i'm at the show and you know having mm-hmm. fun and look at this but another part of me found <clears throat> this this strange i don't know if this is the right word tranquil feeling over the whole arena, which was again almost filled, almost filled. I only saw a few empty seats at the very, very back. Um, it, there was a, a really nice vibe it, to not see any phones for once. It, it, a different vibe, yeah. a different feeling, which was which was nice. And again, again, the verdict's still out to me because there was a part of part of me that was just I was fucking annoyed. What do you mean I can't take my phone out? Especially when I was trying to text and they were literally like telling me to put my phone away. You know, yeah, li- life exists, you know, like something could be wrong. Right. Know? Right. I mean, you know, I got kids at home and stuff. But yeah. on, the, on the flip side, it's like, come on. It doesn't matter what you have going out on outside. You know, put in movie theaters, you're not people do it, but you, they tell you right before the movie, leave, turn your phone off, silence your phone. I get annoyed in movie theaters when people take out their phone next to me, you know? Oh yeah. I can only imagine what it's like in New York, especially, or, you know, that area. Like it's, it's pretty bad over here, but I, I just don't go whenever people are going to be there. That's, yeah, it's it's a whole thing, but yeah, it's not like it's going to be enforced in the movie theater because those workers are not going to rock the boat at all. They're just autopilot. Yeah. But security guards are a different animal for sure. Cool. Well guys, we've been talking about, a Perfect Circle, which features Maynard James Keenan, also known for his great work with Tool. Joey, not a big Tool fan. I'm a massive Tool fan. Saw them early on and have, have followed them throughout their career and and would love to hear new music from Tool at some point in the in the future. I don't know if that, that'll ever happen. I mean, I feel like we're at Chinese democracy stages now with, with the next Tool record where it's just kind of getting ridiculous. And I, I find it very interesting that A Perfect Circle are coming back with a new album in, in 2018, early 2018, according to what Maynard said at the Brooklyn show. You know, I'm guessing they're going to tour on that again. Maybe they'll bring the song Judith back into the set. 
I'd love to hear the reason why they are not playing it. I think you had a good theory about that, about that, Joey. And yeah, uh, I guess that's about it for today. You're off to work, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another day, you know. I gotta do this Saturday. <laughs> I feel like my Saturdays are more busy are more busy than my my days weekdays where I'm actually working. It's like one car like you know, car needs to be to. inspected. Uh, I need to get the oil changed. You know, swim lessons with the kids. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah. I wanted to go to Bruce Dickinson's doing a in-store book signing not too far from where i live but i don't think that's gonna happen today Uh, i got a stack of books here which i just need to get through including maynard's book i got carmine apathy's book here i'm reading mustaine's book right now but um what uh carmine a piece what uh what uh Yeah, with non-metal records, not not much at the moment. I'm trying to think what what I'm listening to. Um, you know, there's this. This is super obscure, and people might find it a bit weird, but I like it. It's Nefesh Mountain. Now, these this is like an alt country band from New Jersey, Nefesh Mountain, and they're on Spotify. They're on iTunes, and they are practicing Jews um, and they are known in this country as one of the only alt country bluegrass bands that do traditional Jewish music. So they also do, yeah, Hasidic, right. Yeah. They also do, you know, their original music, which if you go to Nefash mountain on, on Spotify, you'll get to hear some of their original music, but they also do traditional Jewish stuff in this bluegrass way. Uh, Eric is the, the one guy, it's a husband and wife band. And, uh, he's, he's just plays an incredible banjo, and gets flown all over the country to get do bar mitzvahs and stuff because he does this traditional bluegrass style music, but can also do he does it like Jewish uh, Hasidic music and and stuff and hmm. uh, yeah, it's great stuff, great stuff. And it's not necessarily some of the stuff doesn't even really sound Jewish, so it, they're definitely worth sure. checking out. A unique, different sounding band. Nefesh Mountain. Definitely check them out. N-E-F-E-S-H Mountain. How about yourself? Who are you listening to? I got two quick ones. Uh, One of the new ones from this year that I just got to, it's been out for a few months, but uh, I was really surprised about how much I liked At the Drive-In's comeback album. Uh, Inter-Alia, I think is what it's called. It's just like Perfect Circle. It's hard stuff to pronounce. Inter-Alia, and they even have dots in between a lot of the, the word, but Man, that one really blew me away because I'm one of those guys I was really disappointed at the breakup of Mars Volta because I right. was really enjoying that band. But, you know, and they'll probably get back to it at some point. But, uh, man, good comeback record for At the Drive In. I highly recommend that one. And, you know, a little bit of punk, traditional rock, you know, stuff like that, a little bit of metal. So, good one right there. Cool. And I, I, I discovered an old record. Uh, old by being uh, 32 years old, so it's from 1985. But I never heard this record before, even though I knew this person. Uh, but Russ Ballard, who would definitely be known to Kiss fans, especially. Right. Uh, but this guy was in Unit Four Plus Two back in the 60s, and he did some he did some stuff with Rod Argent. And man, he's got a solo album out from 1985 called "The Fire Still Burns." It just okay. completely flopped when it came out. 
but man, this guy can write a song. I mean, he wrote songs that Ace Frehley has covered and Kiss has covered. He wrote Since You've Been Gone that Rainbow had a big hit with. I mean, the guy. Into the Night off that first Frehley's Comet record. He wrote, yeah. That was from the uh, previous self-titled album in 1984, but the one that followed that New York that Groove. Up, he wrote New York Groove, yeah. I believe, too. And New he wrote he, uh, God, God, God Rock and Roll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if you see this like on the discount racks, I got it on vinyl recently and just on a whim and just have been listening to this a lot. But The Fire Still Burns by Russ Ballard. This okay. thing is just an 80s dynamo. Like it's just, it's got all the 80s production and everything on it, but it's so good. So that's just one of those albums that just, you know, check it out. It's a gem. Okay. So. Will do because I love his stuff. And he did another Rainbow song too, since you've been gone, but one of the other semi hits from the jolyn turner days i believe yeah like graham uh covered some of his other stuff um i i have to be bad and pull up the wiki on it yeah um let's see Uh, i mean girl recorded his stuff three dog night uh gosh i'm looking for it i'm not seeing it right offhand head east night ranger roger daltrey king cobra the oh yeah the, the the other thing is great the two songs that the other two women from abba had a hit with as solo artists right he wrote both of those songs oh wow so yeah russ ballard wow yeah amazing stuff i will check that out joey and uh real quick another record i know i mentioned it before on talking rock but roger waters studio solo record is this the life we really want came out earlier this year definitely on track to be one of my my favorite albums of the year and uh great stuff if you haven't heard it but joey we're gonna wrap this episode thank you for doing this with me and we encourage everyone to check out your podcast rock strikes 10 and also to visit talkingmetal.com and soon to visit talkingrock.net yeah, and th- thanks for that. But we're going to be doing a 1997 retrospective in a few cool. weeks where I do a countdown of my favorite albums from that year, probably a two- or three-parter. Uh, we're going to do, of course, the best albums of the year coming up because we're already getting into that part of the holiday season. And check out Mark Striegel on Rockin' or Roll. Oh, right. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. BJ Cramp's show, definitely. That was a fun uh, guest spot I did. I'll, you know what? I should link that through through the, oh, totally. uh, the website. No shame. Uh, my website. No shame, sir. No shame, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. Have a good Thanks, uh, rest of the weekend. You too.